Welcome to episode 134 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 54 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were tasked by Tusker, slung some shurikens in Shinobi, and hovered around in Mr. Heli. This week, we conclude our look at the games in October 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, tell us of the games to come, so we may enter the long dark forewarned. In this troubled episode where we try and ascertain if the character of Nosy Bonk from the show Jigsaw was indeed as disturbing as we imagined it to be, we scour the dirty 8-bit crime-filled streets of somewhere or other in our trusty police cruiser as we chase down the road cones, scallywags and ruffians in APB All Points Bulletin. We slowly meander our way to the Binatone Sports Centre on the quest for some fun, all through the medium of options in the endlessly dreary international team sports, and jump in the cockpit of our non-branded warplane and head to the zoomy, sprite-filled skies as we shoot down tanks, helicopters and submarines in first strike. Apparently, Nosy Bonk was performed by someone called Headley in a dinner suit and white face mask. Pretty standard, really. And thankfully, only borderline terrifying. While we all Google the shit out of that weirdness, we head out to the old frontier on our best Stetson chaps and spurs as we shout yee-haw, throw some knives and wrestle steers in the all-beefy cowboy world of Buffalo Bill's Wild West Rodeo Show, head for a boring monochromatic misadventure through the confusing and badly realised arcade conversion nonsense of Zybots, before finally shouting FAB and grabbing our aqualungs, sleepy sprays and power glue before heading right into the path of danger with the Thunderbirds. The multi-event games are making a comeback. Some of them good, some of them not so good, but at least you get a blood curtain of death in one of them. Stanley Kubrick would approve. The long dark. Sounds ominous. <laughs> well, we're coming up to <laughs> November and December, aren't we? And days get shorter and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's the long so dark. Just a bit. We're in the long dark at the moment. I know. The, dog, the days just immediately go, oh, it's morning, night. It's like, there's no gap. I'm like, it's like living in bloody Mordor. <laughs> well, I don't yeah, want to live in Mordor. So. No one wants to live in Mordor. <laughs> Not even the great eye wanted to live in Mordor. That's why he wanted his ring back. That's why his eye was always always looking out, never looking in, was, never looking in. Was forever looking, forever looking. Before we get onto stuff, Graham, we got we got a couple mm-hmm. of comments over the recent, last few weeks for on some of our episodes and some of the comments we've. Oh, really? Are they complaining about how much poo we, we talk about? Because we've reined that in. Thank you. <laughs> no. We didn't. Uh, no, uh, I, I, we, when I post about Citadel, we said how good Citadel was, and we sort of mentioned that the people from, uh, I think we said Dan Phillips stuff worked on it. Dan Phillips actually commented on our post. Wow. And okay. He said Cit- Citadel. Citadel was all Martin, all Martin Walker. Ah, uh, okay. They just contributed some ideas and technical assistance with Rob Levy 101 adding some of the graphics. There you go. Wow. It was all Martin. Well done, Martin. Well done. Well done, Martin. Nice Walker. one, Martin. What? Maybe they're just being humble. Maybe there is no Martin Walker. That's just that's just a name they give to all of their <laughs> collective talents. 
Maybe. On another note, um, on Facebook mm-hmm. uh, this week for our Rainbow Islands episode, we got a, a comment from Mr. Kevin Chamberlain. Mr. Kevin Chamberlain must have obviously gone for a different name. I think of Pogo, because this is the man who created no. Inner Space. <laughs> Pogo! Uh, yeah, I'm guessing he goes by Pogo. So he put um, on... On Facebook, he says he wrote he wrote that game. His only his only game he ever made. It got forty three percent of his app. He says his brother worked for Houston. Obviously, it wasn't up to the Houston quality standards, but he did put me in touch with the maniacs of noise. So he got some lovely music and sound in it. He says I'm not sure I ever made it to the shelves. The CRL went bust, and I never got paid the second payment from the administration. Uh-huh. Um, he went he went on further to say. It was CRL insisted it should be called Inner Space and priced it at nine ninety nine, uh, despite saying it would be a budget release. Surprised it got forty three percent. To be honest, it says he like I said, he said not not sure it ever made it to the shops. Um, it says you're even right about the okay. music. I think the maniacs of noise just had the music left over from another project and sold it to me for about fifty quid. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, t- the town north of Reading was Wallingford, and the giant egg is coming to get you. So. Thanks, Kevin. That's Gamble. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Uh, so I take <laughs> yeah. warnings like that very seriously. Yeah, you know, about egg, giant eggs. I don't like it. Don't like that at all. No, we're very averse to that. But uh, yeah, 50 quid for that music from the Maniacs. There you go. Not That's bad, crazy. And I tell you what is strange, right? Because when I was doing the, um, when I make, when I'm producing the podcast, um, obviously I go on to mm-hmm. things like the SID archives and try and get the music for the games. And you may never notice it because it sits kind of underneath in the, the music background, as it were. But oftentimes I'll put the music that's from that game, if it's any good or if it's you know reasonable or whatever, I'll put it underneath the review. It often happens. Sometimes it's not the exact one because the music's crap, but sometimes it isn't. Now, in that case, um, when I did that one, it took me a while to find it because it's not listed on um, HSVC or HSVCIDS, whatever that archive's called. It's not listed in there as under that name, the name of that game. It's listed under something completely different now. I can't remember for the life of me what it was, but it was something like Mebalas. Or me- it reminded me of Metabolist, but it wasn't Metabolist, but it was something like that. It was a really weird name for something. So it was obviously some project that had nothing to do with that. It is very good music, though. So it is very good. I could, you know, I could find out, you know, search right now and find out what it was called, but why would I spoil your fun? You go and do that. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not here to tell you everything. We're here to set you off on a voyage of discovery. I'll tell you at the end of the podcast, so that way you have to listen to the whole podcast. I might drop one letter in for every game or something, every now and again, a clue. <laughs> I, won't, I won't do that. I won't do I won't that. Do that. You. But anyway, yeah, nice feedback. Thank you, Kevin. Ace, Good. ace feedback from the makers themselves. I love that. Yeah. Why did, it, why did they want to call it Inner Space? Why? <laughs> they had bigger concerns. <laughs> the people at CRL were just like, we'll call this Inner Space. Well, do you know what's the rotten story in all of that? Is one, that the game company was going bust, but two, that he never got paid. How many times have we heard that now where the, the game designers, yeah. game writers, coders don't get paid because they're getting ripped off? It just, it stinks. I mean, as soon as somebody said, this game's going to be published by CRL, I bet you went, oh, I'm not going to get paid. So and he was right. <laughs> Probably. He was right. He was right he was, about that egg. He was right about that. He was right about he that He was. Egg. There you go. There you go. That's kind of cool. Should cool, we move on to cool. some games after that nice intro? Let's do it. Do Let's it. get into some of the games do it. that we have coming up for this week. We've got six. Let's get into that first one. And that first one is a Sizzler. It is a Sizzler, Graham, at 90%. This is Ooh. APB, APB, which is 1% okay. actually more than the Amiga version got, I think, because uh, I think the Amiga version got 89 So this is APB. Right. It was £9.99. There's a lot of arcade conversions this month. I mean, this is, I the, heavy this on is the fourth. Right? Arg, Shinobi, yeah, Mr. Helen. 
Yeah, this is the force. Yeah, this yeah, month, we've only had seven games. Our, obviously, this week we start off another one and, and another one that scored highly. This is APB or All Points Bulletin. Like I said, it was £9.99. It's got 9% and got Sizzler status, so not too shabby. Originally, this was released by Tengen, which, as we've spoken about before, was an offshoot of Atari. And that's why the arcade version of this sounds like it does. If you've ever heard the arcade version, this, yeah. it's all that, yeah, it's that yeah. Atari noise. Boing, boing, boing. Boing, that, ba, ba, boing. Yeah. <laughs> and the, that speech is that noise. It's that, what? Uh, what are you calling? There's an old pints pilot in. <laughs> sounds like sounds like the poke is in full effect, is what I think. Um, it was originally released in 1987. I don't know how well it did. I couldn't find any kind of Games Master rated this as number two. Just, I don't think they did it for okay. uh, maybe Atari games. It did gain mixed reviews when it was ported to the home computers at the time, and that includes the C64, because the C64 version... Well, they got the, I found there's three scores listed on Lemon. Commodore user gave this 64%. Zap gave it 90 But your Commodore gave it just 35%. That's quite the uh, that's quite the disparity. I mean, I think we might need a Jimmy Tarbuck here for this uh, difference in opinion, um, <laughs> but I'm not quite sure because that's quite that's quite a difference. Aside from all that, this conversion was released by Domark. It was produced by Walking Circles with Carlton Handley, Mr. Carlton Handley, doing the code. Carlton. <laughs> it's got graphics by Walking Circles and Tengen, which I find a bit weird. Did Mr. Tengen just walked in? I'll do some of the oh, graphics. Yeah. <laughs> and Bob I will Tengen. do these graphics for you, Bob Tengen. <laughs> Pop tension. The loading screen is by David Fish. Obviously, just after he left Merillion, he took Merillion. He took the uh, <laughs> took his full name on. Um, and the music here is by Mr. Short Loop himself, Mr. David Whitaker. Uh, there's an okay loading screen with a smiling cop in his car and a lady in a boob tube and hot pants giving him the thumbs up from outside. I'm not sure what's going on there. I'd hate to uh, hazard a guess, but you know, I guess it's well drawn. But you know, I don't know. Something odd maybe going on. Anyway, the title screen for the game doesn't have much going on besides the name of the game and the credits, which change colours periodically, and your last score, high score, and the invitation to press the siren to start. I was looking for ages for a siren, and then I realised it meant the fire button. <laughs> Joke was on Where's me, the you might say. Joke was on me. Now, there's a small story of sorts to set the scene uh, from the manual. It says, you play the role of Officer Bob, a tough cop in this challenging cartoon-style game who so- whose whole job... Bob? Grabowski. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Officer Bob Grabowski, whose whole job is to patrol the streets of the city and apprehend various criminals in your trusty police car. Each day you are given a quota of offenders who must be apprehended. That's quite harsh, isn't it? It's like, you will go find 10 pickpockets. Uh, what if there are? Yeah, go get them. Then you will be fired. Uh, before the day there is out. There will be. Because <laughs> if you don't get them, then if you do get them, then you, get, you get a salary bonus and you get to keep your job. Mm. These uh, miscreants include little outs, drunks, and hitchhikers. I didn't know hitch- is hitchhiking against the law? It is in Rambo's world. <laughs> True. At times you receive an old points bulletin and a particularly dangerous villain who must be tracked down and arrested. Anyway, pressing the fire, or the siren, gets us into the game, and the first thing we see is our target quota for the day. This starts off with just honking our siren at a couple of traffic cones on the practice ground at the police station. Kind of weird. You press fire, okay, uh, and the first mm. level loads in. This is a multi-load. It's a t- So this is a top-down, free-roaming driving game. Not too dissimilar to a certain game. It just had its... Uh, a, a trailer out this week in its original guise. Yeah, yes, yes, it is. Has an, it has a similarity. It does, yes. You know, if you can unscramble the words T-A-G, you might know what I'm talking about. The first area is a simple loop and we can learn the controls which go up and down for acceleration and brake, left and right to steer, and a tap of the fire button to honk the siren or hold it down to keep it blaring out. And this is shown by an icon 
that's in front of the car, which is either a target or says police stop when we hold the fire button down. And, it, and the faster you go, the further away that that's, that's a target gets. Okay, that's basically it. So what we do is when when that target hits a sort of an object, if that's your, if that's your um, in this case, the first or tutorial level, in this case, it's those uh, traffic cones, they're kind of completed. You don't want to drive, you just got to drive over them with the siren blurring and just hit them with the target. That's it. Um, once you've completed this and you got got back around to base, you get some money, which is based on how fast you completed it, how much gas you got left and things like that. The screen is split vertically, the game window taking up two thirds on the left of the screen and the UI showing how much money we have made, the time left for the day, how many demerits we have collected. I'll come to demerits in a bit. The amount of gas left and the number of assignments we have left for the day is all on the right in the sort of big gray window, if I remember rightly, which um, an odd color. Correct. It's mm. okay. It's all right. It's all there. It's there from the arcade. It's there. When the game starts properly and we are deposited into the city, each day we are given more and more to do and each type of activity needs completing before we can return to the police station and get our money for the day. A lot of the activities revolve around driving towards certain cars, a toot in our horn or holding down the siren, um, what, you know, what's the target is over them, to get them to stop. They don't just stop, they just disappear, which is kind of odd. They just disappear into the ether. You have a powerful siren that is a- and enables you to uh, destroy cars at a single beep. It's true. Sometimes you have to do it twice. Some cars need honking at mm-hmm. twice. Some cars need honking multiple times. Anyway, you've got different ones to capture, and you've got to do as much of them as you can in the day. When you've done all your tasks, um, like I said, there are also hitchhikers, people who need help. And weirdly, you just have to run them over, which is kind of... That's, that doesn't seem like helpful way. to me. It doesn't seem very helpful. <laughs> we need help. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh no, you it. killed little Jimmy. <laughs> I've met my quota. Oh no. There are donuts to collect in the landscape and bags of money to enable you to get more revenue. You can use this revenue to visit shops and upgrade your car with such things as radar, armor, better brakes, and faster acceleration. There are many cars driving about as well, and should you hit one of these or just drive off and drive into a bush, then you will earn a demerit. Okay. Get nine demerits and it's game over for you. That's it. So on some days you'll get you'll also get given a per- ter- person of interest that you need to take down and a rough location of where they are. They'll just say they're near the small bar. Like, okay. So in order to take these down, you've got to find them and ram them repeatedly before heading back to the police station where you get to interrogate them by waggling the joystick like crazy to break them in the interview room. I must break you. I have to say, I only know this from the instructions. I could never find any of these premium targets in my time playing the game. I just couldn't find one of them. So um, I actually, I know, found one. They blew me up with a piece of dynamite. So, uh, oh. Oh dear. So, so that was game over. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that'll end that. Oh yeah, it did end it, yeah. All aspects of the arcade are here, I guess, and crammed in. And most of that is the map, which is huge. According to a post I found by uh, Carlton on X, it said it's about a thousand screens in size. Um, wow, sir. There's a bit, we put a bit of tech uh, behind it as well, something like that. It's, it took 32 kilobytes of memory, but they only decompress the bit what you're on and the bits either side. So as you move between chunks of map, it compresses and decompresses on the fly. There's only about 10 kilobytes in, mm. in usage at any time. Clever. There, there you go. Something like that. So that's it. You've got all the different missions and targets take down. It's multi-load for each day, but trying to fit everything in, I, I kind of see why. The graphics are in it. I did find it also an interview on Ant Stream, and Carlton said that the due to the lack of resources that they had at Domark, the visuals for this are just the spectrum graphics with some color attributes added for the map. 
kind of shows, I think. I think it does kind of show. Yeah. The vehicles themselves are okay, if a little blocky, would they sort of, you know, they rotate around. But the scrolling, scrolling's not very smooth, all told, is it? It's a bit jerky. It's a bit yeah. on the, uh, it's not it's not smooth. It tends to give you a bit of eye judder after a while. My eye was kind of juddering. I was like, mm. uh... Um, the music and sound effects are passable, nothing special either. Short, there's a short loop when you come close to finishing the task for the day, and the siren sound is a bit annoying after a while. There are some nice touches, though. I did like driving into traffic with the sirens blaring and seeing them all get out of your way. I thought that's quite a nice touch, just to allow you to get back to base quickly. Mm. And there's detours and stuff which lead to extra cash and the like, and the, the little interstitials you get between the days where your chief either congratulates you or berates you, depending on your performance. They're all good and straight out of the arcade machine. So whilst all the main details from the arcade have been included here, I think that is where the issue with this game comes from, for me anyway. I think it's an interesting idea. And giving you a massive world to drive around in was quite the unusual thing back then. We didn't see very much of this. It's just not a particularly enjoyable game because the original game, I don't think, was that great either. I was never a big fan of this in the arcade. AP. There's some mm. cartoon fun to be had beetling about, I think, but the, the lack of direction to find the APB target severely hampers the main element of the game. It's called APB, not find a load of hitchhikers or some litter bugs or whatever. It's weird. You have no idea where they are. You've got no idea where they are on the map. And the map is massive. It's huge. It's a thousand screens. They could be anywhere. You, all you get is like, um, you know, a rough hint. So you're just left to drive aimlessly about in the hope that you might find them, which I found wasn't that much fun because I didn't think the, the driving was that particularly that much fun. And this is exacerbated by the collision detection, which is very harsh. I thought you could be clearly not touching a car and, and bump into them. And then they would just drive back into you and you'd be stuck there earning demerits and game over very mm. quickly. And I'd, yeah, I'd, and, re, and you're just getting reduced to a dead stop. I found that quite frustrating. I don't know. I don't doubt that some elements of this are fun, but but just give me an arrow. Give me an arrow to the APB target. Which direction is mm. it in? You know, simple would have helped somewhat. Or even a map that you could call up showed where they were. I mean, even Turbo Esprit. Which, this is a better game than Turbo Esprit, don't get me wrong, but that had a map where you could find, you know, you could have a look and see where those enemies were. So it had that function, and this kind of needed it. Now, I know that they may not have had that option in the arcade, but I think this could have been added here to aid the home player. If you want, to pl you want someone to play it and sort of discover, sort of be heading in the right direction over a thousand screens, the arcade don't give a shit, does it? It just wants your 10p, and then, like, it's happy. I've taken your 10p. I'm not going to show you where anything is. You can try and learn it. In the home, though, we want a bit more. And I think you could have added a bit more, maybe with a map. Now, that may have been like Tenjin may have said, no, it must be exactly like the arcade, so I get it. But from a design point of view, I think that it's a big problem for this game because you're just aimlessly driving around. And you you also, as well, you don't want to go too far because you want to get back to the police station because you want to earn more money once you've done all your jobs for the day. And you don't even have to actually catch the True. APB targets. You can just go do the jobs and head back. It kind of feels, it feels a little bit of a miss, you know, it feels a weird you know, this is, oh, this is optional. We don't have to do it. Like, well, why would I then? I don't know. I, it's a, you know, I guess on the whole, it's a well put together conversion of a flawed arcade game, which is a few things, you know, we've said of a few arcade games in the past. And thus, without any kind of additions to the basic formula, it kind of falls down in the same places, at least for me. Commodore user gave this 64%. I think that's about right. I think it's somewhere in the middle of those other two reviews. Mm. I would put this in there because I just don't think it's that much fun when it comes down to it because it just, you just go around, you get the, the seven vehicles, you head back to the police station, you go out, you get the nine vehicles, you come back, you go out, you just, okay. The APB should have been the heart and soul of this. And because it's so stretched over such a big map and they're so tiny and they kill you with dynamite immediately, the, the purpose of this game has been foiled. It, I don't know, it's just not there. It's not right. The balance is off. But that, as I said, is a problem that comes from the arcade game, not this conversion, which is a decent conversion, like I said, of a flawed game. So there you go. That's what I thought. What did you think? Okay, loading screen, I thought. 
wasn't it? Quirky enough, I suppose. But, you know, sort of Boot graphics from the arcade cut. borrowed. Yeah, it's just, you know, it was the, but the graphic style had been inherited from the arcade, okay. Kind of weird, mm. understated title screen, similar to the arcade, all text, with some no, no, nice colour, raster colour thing behind it, all right? And then, of course, there's that weird, as soon as I went to the select your sort of day screen, you know, the next screen on us, I've pressed fire for the siren. I was like, something's not right here. Just, you know, I know it's all part from the, apart from the arcade, but something didn't feel right at that point. The controls were okay for what they were. Scrolling worked, such as it was scrolling, really, a bit juddery, but, you know, it is what it is. Backgrounds were a bit basic, but like you said, if there's lots of them, that explains that. It's all functional, and I quite like the way, you know, you press fire to activate things. The logic of the controls seemed fairly ordinary. The UI on the screen was awful, I have to say. Grey background with yellow, white, and green yeah. on it didn't work. It doesn't work. You can't mm. see anything. Couldn't make out anything on no. it. Now, with the arcade, True. there isn't yeah. that colour in the background, and you can see detail on it, which you need to see. You need to see that detail. So it was a bit lost on your eyes. I checked to say, I thought maybe that was a bug of the cracked version that I had. It isn't. That is just the colour that it is. The car details were all right in that kind of spy hunter type way. They all look a bit like shoes from the top down. <laughs> and the view of the speed and the thing was all manageable. It's a con- condensation, isn't it? Or it's a condensed version, sorry, of the arcade. So, because the arcade's kind of longer. Um, and we've seen that with a couple of these arcades where the long, thin arcade screen gets condensed into a kind of a small square in the middle, which is, I guess, you know, limitations mm-hmm. of the C64's hardware and all of that. Get it? But it's, it does mean that everything's a bit squashed. So it's an approximation of the arcade, isn't it? It's, it's as close maybe as they could have got it. Bear in mind the assets are from a, another 8-bit machine. And it's not what you call a dedicated arcade for C64 conversion. This is kind of a hybrid conversion. So it's a conversion of, with bits of other game graphics thrown in and stuff. Okay. And everything's compressed. It's an okay conversion, but the problem is I think it's an okay conversion of a dull arcade, like you said, exactly yeah. that. And those are problems that were never in the C64 version because if you roll it back for exactly the same reasons as you, it's just a bit dull. Just to, It's a bit mindless and a bit dull. And after a few plays, I don't know, is it going to have you coming back? Because it's just more of the same. It's not. It doesn't really increase in difficulty as such, not in that way. I know you get more things to get, but getting them is kind of the same bag. I don't know. It just felt like it captured the essence of the game and it plays probably like it should if on a C64 version of, a, of the arcade, but the arcade was never that any, anything special to begin with. So it's an okay job of a dull arcade, like I say. It's not bad. If it's not terrible, it's, you know, it's passable, but it's not 90%, sorry. And it's certainly not Sizzler, no way. This is around the 60s, 65s, like you said. Couldn't agree more. There's good effort and I don't doubt there's good code under the hood under there because there's a lot of it, a lot of screen and stuff, but boring, I'm afraid, is something that, you know, you can't code out of a game no matter how good you are. So uh, you work with what you've got. So I'm afraid APB, all points boring, really, for me. Sorry, <laughs> but it is. Yeah, it is. And, that, and that, that fault comes from, like you said, the original arcade. Like we said, the original arcade game, just not an interesting particularly. Not all arcade games are good. Not all arcade games are no. good or interesting. No, they're not. No, can't, no, all, they're can't, not. Be, can't all be good. Can't all be good. They cannot. There we go. That's it. That's all points bulletin. That's an APB on that one. So um, we'll move along um, after we've arrested that and put it behind bars to our next game. And Graham, it's over to you to go and place some options. Um, And by that, I mean (laughs) some international team sports. Yay. Good old international team sports. Uh, Mindscape. (laughs) All the way from Mindscape. <laughs> Who's that? Who's Mindscape, Great. 1419. You know damn well that is. Ed Ringler. <laughs> Ringler. It took me 10 Ringlers to get this bloody going. Now, I, it took me a while to find a version of this that worked. And the, the only way I could get it to work properly was to find the slowest loading version of all. 
because that's how it works. <laughs> the quicker you make this load, the worse it works. It's just the way it is. This likes to load slowly, all right? So it's Ed Ringler design. Creator is Simon Finch, Michael Goodwin, Ed Ringler Jr., I guess, and Ed Ringler Sr., the Ringlers again. And the music is, once again, John A. Fitzpatrick. That's because he just does that title music with the giant table tennis bat and the sports yeah. time logo every time. They did it again. Those damn Ringlers. So International Team Sports is another multi-event game where you can compete in varying exciting sports, such as water polo, indoor soccer, volleyball. That's not indoor soccer, volleyball. That's two separate things. For the 4 by 100 mm-hmm. meter swimming relay, the 4 by 400 meter relay. Um, so those are a kind of odd collection of sports that you can do. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? That is a weird one. So this is a multiplayer game where you can choose multiple players and then you can choose a bewildering array of options. I mean, there's options and there's games with options and then there's this one. This is like the option-centric version of all. It's like the, it's, this is the one ring, the one option to rule them all. <laughs> so there's options for everything in this. You can even change the colour of the swimming pool water, which is the stupidest option to change of all. Unless you want to see your swimmers <laughs> swimming through a river of blood for some reason. There's no reason why you'd <laughs> want do. to change that. Nor is it a reflection of reality when they go, you know what, this water's far too blue or clear. Get some red and yellow in it. Make it look weird. It's just weird that you could even do that anyway. It is what it is. So the principal function, I'm not going to go through all the blurb of the instructions because there's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just going to tell you basically quickly about the game now. I did, like I said, I did finally get a fully working version of this. When this game loads, you'll get the table to this bat and that stupid music. And then you'll get to, you know, option screen one of about 9,000. Now I'm not going to go through all the options and everything else because there's just, you know, we haven't got... 17 years because it'll take too many ringers. Oh, right. I don't I've got that. I haven't got that many ringers in me. <laughs> just too much for, any, for anyone. Um, but you, ringlet, you, no more. <laughs> no more. You can basically select your players, select your team actually, and you can choose the nationality of those teams and you can choose what color tooth fillings they've got and what size feet they are. It is just, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, you, you make up a team and then you can participate in the various sports. Now, in the oddly enough, in the broken version, no matter what you do, you'll always end up playing volleyball, which I don't know if that's like a statement for life in some instances, because that's just like, <laughs> no matter what options you choose, you go into the volleyball game and you have to play volleyball. Now, I'm going to just quickly go through the, the, the sports as I found them and then sort of my experience of them. Now, I have to be honest, uh, full disclosure, I didn't play through all of them. And I'll tell you why, because I did not have the time to wait for it to load. This is slowing on a whole new level. You didn't have 15 ringlers. Well, even the fast load version, which was broken, was slow. But the actual yeah. working version that slows, oh, Lord, it's slow. And you have to flip discs and goodness me. I'm like, and when you actually get to the game, as is with always the case with these, it doesn't matter how many options there are, they're always disappointing. Now, yeah. now a couple of things to note, actually, about this. And maybe it's, maybe it's something that's always escaped me with these. These are all NTSC games, all of them. So mm. by rights, you should always play these games in NTSC mode because when you do, you'd be surprised how much quicker they all play. Maybe that's something that I've, I've never really thought about it because I've just taken it for granted that some hacker cracker person made them compatible with PAL mode. But when I put this, because the version I had was an NTSC version, or it could, you know, it could go either way. When I played at NTSC, it actually was a lot quicker, which does make the games marginally better, but it doesn't help them in the long run. And there's a few classic errors in a couple of these, which will have you, which will give you some food for thought. Let me tell you that. So when you play water polo, it's a match that's viewed from the side and you see part of the swimming pool and you've basically got to play this. It's like a version of, it's water polo in in a pool. It reminded me of the other water polo pool game that we played some time ago. I can't remember what that was called. Water polo. Um, so yeah, it was Waterpolo, wasn't it? So when you get down to it, when you get down to all after through with all the options, very man choose your team, they all present the same way. The bottom sort of quarter, exactly the same as they were in the basketball game. The bottom quarter of the screen is the kind of UI player mm-hmm. stats, information, 
how your players are feeling, whether their shoes are slightly <laughs> warm, whether the tread is too deep, all that kind of thing. <laughs> top half is where the sort of action of the game happens. But when the, yeah, when the water polo sort of game starts, you've got to obviously play out water polo and it adheres to the rules and it is, you know, the players do animate in the pool, but it's kind of like the basketball game size. So the sprites are quite small-ish and it's a little bit, it, they do move around in the pool okay, but it just feels a little bit like the same problems occurring in all of some all of these ones where it's not running is that they you're never really sure who you're controlling because it's mm. never really clear. It's the same problem the basketball one had, and principally this is where they borrowed the same engine. You're never quite sure who's who whether you're even in control of them. It sometimes it feels like you're not, like you're watching it more than play it. Now you have to be careful because when you first start with some of these games, you've got to make sure that the right person's got the right joystick and the right options are set. Otherwise, all hell I don't imagine I imagine hell breaks loose. The gates of Mordor open. All the people come out. It's very messy business. So, so the graphics on the water polo one—they're a lot like basketball one and the volleyball one, which is sort of shown from behind the court with a slightly elevated angle, a view of the players running about. Now, the volleyball ball movement is actually pretty good the way it bats about, but you have absolutely no idea what's happening because this, this is key problem with this game and many of these others. Number one, these adhere so closely and rigorously to the rules of the sport that if you don't really know what those rules are. This doesn't teach you them. You just have to abide by them. That's a problem if you don't know what rules you're breaking. So I kept breaking the four-touch rule. I don't know how, because I wasn't touching it four times. I'm pretty sure I barely touched the damn thing once. This is in volleyball. <laughs> I was getting fined for something in water polo, that I, some kind of fine, some kind of penalty, rather. I have no idea what I was doing wrong. And the same thing kept happening in the indoor soccer as well. Just pro- same problem. I kept, kept the, you know, the whistle would go or there'd be some kind of stoppage because I'd broken a rule, committed a foul, done something wrong. And I, as far as I was aware, I, I wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary other than trying to, most of the time, figure out which one of the stupid players I was actually moving around. Because it's not easy when this condensed screen and the graphics are quite small. When it gets busy, you lose track of who you are really quickly because it does move between them. So suddenly, you're in the volleyball especially, the ball will go over the net from, yeah. you'll serve the ball, <laughs> they'll go over, they'll hit it back and you think, is it that one? But they, and, it, and it seems to automatically hit it and you think, well, which one am I controlling then? It gets very annoying very quickly, that. Mm-hmm. I didn't really dive into many many more i did however go for the running part because i thought well, okay well i'll give the you know the 400 meter relay race a go now the water this is the only one out of the all the others that has a different view and i have to tell you the running is odd it's the best way i can describe it <laughs> now so firstly the view is top down at the top half of the screen so it's so it's like an overhead view of the race fair enough okay and that mm-hmm. follow, you know, that scrolls around. Fair enough. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then below that, you've got like a, a face-on view of all the runners in the race, like looking towards you as they run towards you. It's unnerving a bit that when, they, especially <laughs> when they start running, and then there's their stats next to it. Stats that don't really, you won't really understand or how they how they actually operate in terms of the game because it's just a random what felt like a random number that changed. Now, do you have to waggle in this? I don't know. Do you have to somehow move them running? I don't know how that works. I don't know. The race began. And then all of the runners started to run. Now, this is the really stupid thing, Adrian. The camera follows the leader of the race. If that isn't you, you can't see yourself on that top screen because it follows the person who's, who's at the front of the pack, front of the race, in the relay. What? So I was, I was playing. There was me. There was me. I, was, I think I was France. There was Turkey. I forget the other countries, but it was irrelevant. There was four people, one of which was me, the other three computer run. Obviously, the computer took off like a, like a missile. And as it was running, the camera followed them. So I couldn't see myself on the screen at the top, no idea where I was in the race. So I had to look at my little running towards me face. It's not, it's unnerving. Because then all you've, that's the only information you've got. You've got your stats, which I guess is your energy level or something. 
and you just you've got this sort of running and it runs animates as if it's running towards you and that's it that's all you've got to go on and then so you've got no idea where you are it's really stupid it's really 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 weird i've, I've no idea what, what i started waggling the joystick i thought you sped up but then i realized i wasn't looking at me i was looking at the turkey player because i wasn't anywhere i wasn't anywhere to be seen no idea what happened it's really weird why would the camera follow the race leader but not you it seems such a know. strange thing. It's really anyway. So you can't see you run on the track. Very strange experience. It weirded me out. I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. Anyway, the key problem of all of this is, firstly, so many options because the options are massive and heavy and silly. Right down to the fact you can change the water color in when you're playing swimming, which is weird. Ultimately meaningless. Yeah. When exactly, exactly my point. You've gone too far, so far that the options become pointless anyway. Yeah. Then it's not clear because after that, once you've chosen all the colours and things, who you're actually controlling. Even if you chose red shirts for you and blue shirts for them, it because it, it's not clear and doesn't give you a very clear indication of who you're controlling, you're never really sure if you're even controlling it or not. And that's a big problem in all of them. Then that's compounded by the running event, which doesn't actually show you in the race if, you, no, if, you're, not, if you're not in the lead. So these aren't very playable games. And they're not much fun. And the actual conjoining parts between when you get the selection screens and stuff like that, it looked like a 1982 Binatone in terms of the way it presented its graphics. It's yeah. not that they were blocky. It just had that styling, you know, that kind of brown, um, yeah, it does. boring yeah, that's a good call, styling. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, the choices, the, the the dip switches you can move up and down had those. Yeah, dip, yeah, exactly sort of that. Line, like sort of black depictions of black sort of humanoid depictions of the sport, didn't they? Actually, looking at it now, yeah, I'm I'm looking at it now and I'm thinking, yes, that's a really good call. Yeah. So is. this is so this is the this is a C64 conversion of a Binatone game that nobody ever wanted. No, a Binatone console, a Binatone console, not a game. Console, <laughs> yeah, not console. The key problem then, this is an expensive sports game. And at a time when you can now probably get world games for budget, I would have thought. Certainly some oh, of the summer definitely. games and things are probably out on budget. So there is literally no reason to buy this because the events in it are pretty crap. And these kind of things have been done better in other games by miles. You know, And even yeah. even the um, the Tinesoft games are better than this in terms of this sports stuff. So you know, you'd never play this. It's a waste of money. I think it's an NTSC conversion, a US conversion. I don't know, even remember it being over here. So I don't think it got a lot of footage and mileage over in this, no. this side of the pond. Um, it's certainly outside of playing it for this podcast. I would never go and play this. So, and I'm so sick of hearing that stupid music and seeing that giant sports timetable in his back. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm going to have puke up my ringler if I see another one. So that's enough from me about that because I've had enough of it. So it's just a bit <laughs> oddball and not very good. What about you? Why is why are there so many options that are really counterintuitive? Why does it say when yeah, you go to you, get, you go to you go to play and it goes? Are you sure you, you need to make sure otherwise you'll be watching or playing this? I'm like, well, which one will I be doing? <laughs> uh, tell me which. Yeah, because what am I doing? What what? So I loaded it up and then there was more options and then yeah. there's more options down the bottom where you can move a hand. And options all over the place. Just yeah. stop with the options. Why Ringler? Why? Stop it. It's insufferable. He can't help himself. It's such a bad example of navigable UI. It's awful. It's just mm, terrible. I agree. And like when you're picking, like when you, if you, because the version we had, okay, I, I couldn't play many of the games, but I could navigate the, I could play the options game, I guess, which is, you know, half yeah, the yeah, game yeah. is the options. So at the start, you've got to go through a selection where you've got to put the players in, haven't you? You've got to pick a, you've got to pick a yeah. group of players. You've got to pick seven from 10. And then yeah. once you pick them, they've all got stats for each sport. And then you've got to, Put them into each sport, haven't you? So to put teams together yep. for each sport. So yep. 
there's no guidance on this. It's just pick nope. right. What so there's just initials at the top, which you work out V V S for V B for volleyball sprint or something. There's these yeah. initials at the top. So I put all my best players in, then it went. You've you've got too many people in track. Well, how many are supposed to have? So I took three out. You got two less people in. Right, how many are supposed to? Have? Oh, is it four? Okay, I put four in. You got too many people in volleyball. How many are supposed to have? Oh, three. Okay, get that down. You got too many people in football. Mm. Ah, God damn it. And then yeah. once I've got the right number of people, got yeah, great, we've got the people. It says Ed Ed Boschler is playing in too many sports. Well, how many is allowed to play in? <laughs> Stupid. Took one off. Three. Bob Ringler is playing in too many sports. Oh God's sake! Yeah. Just tell me at the start. Give me a bit of info. This is how many people need each one, and each player can be in three sports. Cool. Yeah. Now I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me at the end that uh, they're one by one go through. This person is too many. This person is too many. God. Mm. Terrible. Uh, then when I did get to play volleyball, not watch it, because the first two times I tried it, just watched it. I was like, this is, what? I don't. And there's no way to quit out. And they're all five, no. each half is five minutes long. So, oh, yeah. God. so I had to reload the whole thing. Then when I did get to play volleyball, what was it? <laughs> just, I was just pinging a ball about, trying to control yeah. really logical. Who knows? Oh, this was rubbish. That's just dreadful. If you want to play any of these games, what you've got? You've got volleyball, football, water polo, track. Uh, relay mm-hmm. summer sports has got a better uh, swimming option in yeah back then there's innumerable better football games there's water polo yeah. which is better than this volleyball but go play bump set spike um the sprinting well just go play any of the decathlon games activism decathlon yeah. do summer summer games again hess yeah. games there's just yeah. so many better versions of all these games don't play this one you could play all those in the time would take you to load these uh, these games as well yes. nah. go for the go for the obvious choice don't ever get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, no, nah, don't bother with this. It's just pointless. It's just option nightmare. Mm. Uh, uh, ugly option nightmare as well. Yeah, it is ugly. You'd have thought by now they'd really sort of honed those kind of graphics, but the graphics, it's a brown background as well. Well, they, they, they built a game engine and they were going to use it, so. Yeah, they have. And they've, oh God, they've used it. Those those damn ringlers. Oh. <laughs> No, I couldn't be doing with this. Pointless. It was forewarned when we played that ping pong game all those years yes, back. Who all knew those what years was coming ago. down the road? All these we options. Listened. We should have listened. Forty percent. It got that. Yeah, I think I, it's just I'd one of them. It less. I, I maybe. I probably it might be a bit of a laugh in two play. Or it might be a laugh if it actually worked properly. And you, but or that loading. Play. No, no, no. Dreadful, dreadful. Let's move along. We have still got one game this half. That game, Graham, is First Strike. First Ooh. Strike. This is from Elite Systems. Elite. Aye. Elite System. It's First Strike. This is for the full price of £9.99. This is an afterburner-style shooter that sees us rocketing into the screen and trying to complete a series of ever more complex missions. Hmm. Interesting. It's eight, got 80% this. This is from the Thomases. Good old Thomases. Dave and Bob. Remember them? <laughs> Dave Thomas on code. Bob Thomas on graphics. Designed by Pete Cook. And sounds by Mr. Elite Sounds, Mark Cooksey. Hey, the team. It is. The Thomases, you remember the Thomases? The Boogie Boy, Live and Let Die, yeah, yeah, yeah. all those kind yeah, of things. Staff, Staff of Carnath, all those kind of games. Mm. Coding pedigree, there is. The story for this blaster is as follows. This is no ordinary plane. In fact, some say it is the ultimate conventional air combat weapon system. Someone's okay. watched Blue Thunder. And it's all yours. Your mission is to carry out raids against specific targets in enemy territory, running the gauntlet of hostile aircraft, missiles, and land and sea base forces. Again, that's it. That's your, that's your story. Makes sense. Makes sense. The game has an okay loading screen, I guess. As we look at the plays from the nose of it, it's a bit bit basic, but it's all right. And it's got loads of weapons. 
all the weapons we could possibly eat laid around it. Just loads yeah. of them. It's just so many weapons. That mm, tasty. But the title screen, when that loads, though, is just a blue screen with the logo of the game. Quite hard to read. And the credits and a bit of racy music from Mr. Cooksey. Racy. thought this music it was is. a bit racy. Not a lot to see here, so pressing the fire button brings up the eight missions the game has for us, all of which can be selected and all must be completed if you wish to be promoted through the ranks. The eight missions that can be selected are... I'll go through them now. The first one is the training mission. Two is the Mediterranean mission. Three is the Gulf mission. Four is the Arctic mission. Five is the Black Sea mission. Six is the Far East mission, seven is the Eastern European mission, and eight is the Central European mission. Mm. You do go into countries, it is, a, it's a, it is obviously very US-centric, you're flying into Libya and you're flying around the Black Sea and you're flying into Russia and all that kind of thing to blow stuff up and stop them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's politics of the time, it's one of those. You just have to accept that this is one of those. Each of these can be read and considered before accepting them. You don't have to click click on it go, mm, don't fancy that one, let's see what the, the other ones are like. But, you know, it's up to you before you accept it. The missions task you with a series of challenges, from destroying chemical and nuclear plants, never a good thing to bomb a nuclear plant, I don't think. It never works out well. <laughs> it's always bad. Always a bad thing. It's always bad. Yeah, you got to, you can blow up new subs and stealth planes and strategic bridges. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's just it's basically fly into an area, blow it up. That's essentially it. Get the first strike, yeah. Yeah, each mission is longer than the last, and this will factor into the next part. Once you've selected the mission and accepted it and chosen to accept it, you are presented with a screen that allows you to load up on armaments. Now, you only can carry a payload of 10,000 pounds, that's in weight, and you only have so much space on your wings for missiles and bombs. So you need to think about what you need to complete the mission ahead. So you can't just load up on everything, nor even if you wanted to, even no. if you've filled up your wings, you can't put any more on, even if you've got weight to spare. It's like, no, because mm. you, you've, you've got nowhere else to put it. It's quite interesting this. You've got a bit of risk and reward. You've got, you've got to know. I mean, there is a bit of a problem here in that until you've done that section, you don't know what to take. Um, yeah, true. So, so you got so when you first play this, it's just a bit of guesswork going. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll just leave them. Yeah, uh, you can load up on sidewinder missiles. These are good for enemy planes and he- destroying enemy planes and helicopters. You can load up on Maverick missiles. They're good for enemy tanks, missile cruisers, submarines, and spy trawlers. Uh, you've got the M sixty one cannon, which is your standard gun and good for taking out enemy tanks, helicopters, planes, radar sites, and runways. Thought that was a bit weird. Um, mm, that makes there's sense. two. There's the 2,000-pound bomb, which is good for missile cruisers, sub-spy trawlers, and runways. Uh, you can also load up with an ECM pod, flares, and extra fuel. So, like I said, you can't carry everything, so choose wisely. Once you've selected what you want, you can select takeoff. Don't do what I did on the very first time I played it, which was I couldn't figure out how to actually load my plane up, so I just went to takeoff and then had a very dull experience of trying to dodge stuff because <laughs> um, I had no weaponry. <laughs> That's what I did. So yeah, you take you select takeoff and the game properly starts. Our plane starts on a runway and speeds up and takes off automatically. Uh, and we start flying towards our primary target, afterburner styly. Controls are simple enough with up, down, left and right to bank, climb and dive. Nice and simple. Fire button fires the chosen weapon and space cycles through them. Left and right cursor keys accelerate and break accordingly. Although on mine it was uh, right and up. I think it's not mapped to the C64 keyboard properly. But right and up on, a stand, on the standard sort of um, vice layout will speed you up and slow you down. Uh, the screen is split with the UI taking up the bottom quarter and the game window taking up the rest. The UI is a window on the left to tell us of upcoming enemies. So it'll pop up in this little green text and they'll pop up in there going, Hell, enemy helicopters approaching, enemy tanks approaching, and sort of tell you. You kind of know what, what armaments to sort of load up on quickly. Then we have icons for our weapons and the number of them left. Uh, in the center, followed by the some bars, which show how much fuel we have left and our present thrust speed and our altitude. Then there's finally a radar showing any enemies and where they are in relation to us. 
This is an odd one because this is Afterburner. So you're just going forward. So at the top of the screen, we have the score, lives, and present speed. So as we take off, we get a solid 3D effect, I guess, as trees come rushing towards us at the bottom. And if we climb high enough, we can see clouds. And we can even go above them in a quite nice effect. Quite good, actually. I quite liked it. As we progress, we'll be sailed by various enemies, and you must equip the correct weapon if you want to take any of them out. You get forewarned of them, like I said, in the radar at the bottom, and the sort of big screen tells you, enemies come in, this come in. So take, get the right weapon out and take, try and take them down. But you don't have to. You just dodge your way through the level. If you really want to, um, you don't really have to shoot anything. Just dodge until you get to the big ending. You will notice that your fuel starts to run out, though, and you probably have also run out of weaponry quite quickly if you are shooting stuff. It doesn't last very long. You've only got, like, like I said, you can only equip, like, four missiles or something, so it's like you get a lot of tanks and a lot of helicopters. So trying to take them out is like, uh, you're not going to really do it all. So, But all is not lost, as you'll be able to land, because there's, like, a checkpoint on friendly runways at certain points, and this happens automatically. It's always quite nicely just as you're about to run out of fuel, almost like they planned it. Why they didn't have the land, the, but then you can re restock as well your weapons. So you can refuel and restock weapons at that point, which is quite nice. So what you've got to kind of do is learn each section, right? So in this section, there's going to be these. I need these weapons. And in the next section, I'm going to make a final strike. So I need bombs and that sort of thing. So, okay. so yeah, take off again and head onwards and eventually reach your primary target. Drop bombs on it, whatever. After taking this out, you'll land again, weirdly enough. Just, I presume, on an enemy runway at this point. Uh, and then you've got to fly home. So it's like an extra sequence. Where you, do, you don't just take it out, you land, mm. and then you have to fly back again. Kind of weird, but kind of like it. It's all right, I guess. And once you've done that, you fly home, see how well you've done. Mission accomplished. You get some, you get, might get promotion, you get points, that kind of thing. You can choose the next one of the missions remaining, and you can pick them in any order. It's up to you. Each mission is longer than the previous one, though. So they, ha they are kind of st structured in a way that, you know, the shorter ones first, and they get longer as you progress. And they're all in that same style. They're all in that afterburner style. The visuals are fast, well-drawn, I guess, although some of the enemies are better than others. The planes are far better than the helicopters. The helicopters were blocky and unhelicopter-like, whereas the planes actually mm. look like planes. And some of the boats sort of thing sit sideways and kind of weirdly. There's, there's a sort of mishmash of styles, and they're not all quite gelled together. There's a nice variety of levels, though, to experience. You can have green landscapes, you can have white landscapes, or you can have fly over seas. You can have fir trees, you can even fly over deserts at some point when you're going all over the place, sand dunes. And you can even fly, uh, there's a mission even flown at night. It's just all black. So, you know, there's a, there's a variety of stuff to fly around and fly over. And like I said, it's a nice cloud effect as well, allowing you to fly under or above it. The sounds are functional, gunfire and bombs and explosions and sirens going off when, you know, enemy missiles are launching at you and things like that. So it is what it is. It's, it's all very decent and you know, it works pretty well in that respect. It's a solid game, this. It's got a great sense of pace. You do move fast once you crank up the, the, uh, the you know, the, the thrust. And there's a nice sense of progression with you completing missions and getting promoted and trying to work your way through, trying not to lose all your lives. So there's a decent, you know, decent little sort of, you know, they've taken the afterburner sort of just fly to the screen and just arcade style, but they tried to sort of marry that with a little bit of not, it's not, I don't know if it's story. There's no kind of overarching story to tie these things together. You're just going on a series of missions. Maybe a little bit of story to tie them together would have been a better way and actually make you do mission one, two, three rather than just picking what you want. Or maybe there could have been like, if you don't do mission three, then mission in for mission two, there'll be more weaponry because there's this. There could have been some elements of that around it, but you know, it is what it is. The main issue though, with this game, it just comes in the lack of real action as you progress towards your target. Like I said, it's possible to not engage anything at all. That time when I did start it with a weaponry, I got quite far. I thought it was quite weird. And that was the first time I'd done it, and I thought I'd done something wrong. You, you, you don't even have to engage anything to get to your primary tank. You just dodge everything. 
and take it out. And maybe that's a pacifist run. I don't know. I completed a mission by doing that. So in truth, this is not really an afterburner style game because it doesn't really reward that kind of play. Was afterburner is all you know shooting stuff and blasting into the screen and there's helicopters and airplanes and stuff on the ground and it's just blowing, 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 blowing stuff up. This isn't that. All you need to do is take out the primary target and get back. At least that's what I found. I don't know whether I was missing something, but there's nothing in the instructions to say anything different. It's just get there, blow it up and come back. Like I said, there's talking the instructions of promotion. I can't say I found that added a lot to it. It needed something else, a throughput, a through line, like we said with these kind of these sort of stuntman games we've motion motioned. It's these games, if they just if they tagged a sort of some kind of cutscenes between it to say, oh, this is what we've got to do, and then you move on to this and we've found this out and blah blah blah. Just a, a, a little story of something would have just given it all a more purpose and a little bit more setting, I think. So what we've got here, I think, is some nice tech that may have been slightly missold. It's a great action game. So I don't think it's a great action game. The guys can obviously do a decent 3D effect with Boogie Boy and that Live and Let Die, which all told was a decent 3D effect, I guess. But I just found this, it needed more oomph. I wanted to shoot stuff. If I'm not shooting stuff, then okay, don't tell it that way. But I don't know. It's not bad. It's not terrible. It it works. And I think I enjoyed my time with it. But I did prefer the other one, that Hellfire. We played a few, a few issues back um, more than this even if it did have that weird Horizon thing going on where the Horizon tilted, but all the sprites didn't. It ain't bad, this. I just want more action mm. in my Afterburner-style games, I guess. So it's kind of a bit of a, a missell for me, but it's not terrible. And I think if they'd have wrapped some narrative through those missions, I would have enjoyed this more. But as it is, it's just a series of standalone missions that I, that you don't really have to engage with that much, which is a bit of a shame, but it's all right. I don't know if it's 80%. Maybe, maybe, maybe a bit lower. I don't know. What did you think? I don't know. I can't. It's not a lot to this. It's lacking action in an action game. Just make a decision. Make a decision about whether you like it because you're like, well, it's all right. I, I don't know. Maybe it. it is, but it could be. I don't know. Maybe it's all right. But just if either like it or you don't, it's okay to not like it, you know. I didn't hate it. I didn't. No, I, I did like <laughs> I it. Say. It's just I wanted something more from it, but I'm not. Well, I don't know. I'll make what it easy. I'll make it easy for you. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. <laughs> That's the fence sitting. That's just sitting on the fence. It's no, no, okay. It was rough around the edges. <laughs> it was rough around the edges. I'd give it that. But the flying effect was good. Best one I've seen for this kind of game mm. by miles. So it actually felt like it had pace and, and vigor. You'd, when you took off, it felt like you were taking off from a decent runway. The speed was good. The airplane was a bit blocky and rough around the edges, but the controls were good. Nice and simple, quite responsive. Shoot everything in sight. Very arcade driven. The radar was crap though, wasn't it? Because that didn't really help. It just kind of it was just kind of throwing dots around, <laughs> like there's something there. Uh. So it just gives you a kind of basic yeah. direction, and yeah, and you're going to run out of fuel, and you've got that kind of dynamic of you know what what ordinance do I put on the plane? Oh no, I shouldn't use the secondary fuel tank. That's cost me me mavericks. I needed them. No, you're going to go through that pain barrier. That's what this game is. It's it's choose your ordinance, go and see if it works. Principally across eight different missions. Mm-hmm. Are they terrible? No. Are they missing a cohesive narrative? Yeah. If they'd have put a little narrative in this, this would have been the eight bit version of Ace Combat, wouldn't it? It would have just it would have just fit into that snugly into that yeah. little category. It would have been all right. But it, they didn't add that. Yeah. It's a missing link early there. It's just the one thing that it needed, like you say. But as an afterburner type game, it's easily one of the best versions of this type of thing on the sixty four by miles. Certainly technically, I was impressed with the way and the speed that it ran and the ability to. Now I normally hate games like this, so for me to just get into it, and that's what you need. I could see how it leaned on the engine from Boogie Boy and from that speedboat game, that Live and Let Die. You could sort of see the inherited parts of that because it's sort of, you I'm know, take the yes. track away yeah. and put the cloud effects. And and that had loads of a series of, remember the Live and Let Die had a load of interconnected practice missions that didn't really sort of link really vaguely, apart from the fact they had a boat in it from Live and Let Die in the name. That, that could have been any kind of, you know, yeah. boat trip gone mad. So as that, but I thought this is the best one of these we've played in ages. Straight into the action, moving around and blasting stuff. It, it doesn't pretend to do anything else but that. 
but the flying effects were good. Even when you went up to the cloud, you had that nice zoomy cloud effect, you know? I mean, yes, it's a heavily used effect in that game, so the least, but it works. <laughs> it does feel like you're zooming across the sky and the ocean. It does feel like you're chasing the planes about. That It needed that needs that dynamic, and the sounds are all pretty good too, so I was good with it. I, I, I was impressed with this game. I thought it was good. So, yeah, it's a eight-base combat. Minus the story. I had plenty of them in it. I mean, they were random. I was flying along. It's like there is a you know, warning, you know, helicopters. All right, helicopters. Tanks. All right, tanks. Nuclear sub. I'm like, all right, okay. I didn't expect that out here, but all right. So just, <laughs> I just took it for what it was. Just keep on throwing enemies at me till I run out of missiles. I just, yeah, it was, that's why it threw me. It was just throwing all sorts of enemies. But it had pace. And that's what the, all of those games, all of them have missed. They've either tried to make pace with crappy sort of visual effects that haven't worked, or they've tried to add them uh, in and then add ground effects and give it that kind of weird effect. Yeah, that, again, that's probably the other one that's okay with it. But this is faster than that, and, yeah. and I thought played a bit better. So I liked it. It was good. Good game. Yeah, go and try it. See what you think. All right. That's my advice. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was all right. Because you just, can't decide. I just had reservations. <laughs> I had reservations. There was reservations. It's like I was, booked in, I was booked in a hotel about this one. I have reservations. God damn you. <laughs> uh, there we go. That's first strike. It's That's all, our first it's three games right, it's for, good. for this week. I don't think it's 80% good, though. <laughs> there we go. No, no I'm not far. <laughs> there we go. No, maybe 79. <laughs> no, I, I'd have given it. So it's a 70 or 70% or all the way in it. 67.2%. Yeah, there we go. If you want to get mathematical about it. Right, that's it. That's our first three games for this week. We had options. We had options, Graham. I'm overwhelmed by the options. That was what it is. The it options was, made. Loads of, loads of options. I'm Let's surprised. take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got TV and film cinema stuff going on uh, when we come back. So please do stay with us. And we're back. We're back to look at film and TV in October 1989 in the UK. What was going on? What were we watching? What were we heading out to the cinema to see? 2nd of October, Graham, was the launch of... Not many people were watching this, I can say. True. Launch of the RTL Veronique, right. a Dutch private commercial television station broadcasting from Luxembourg. Hey, the channel aired to Europe via the Astra satellite um. and attracted attention in its early days due to its late night lineup of erotic program. The station changed its name yeah. to RTL4 in 1991. Saucy. Saucy. Yes. Oh, I, I, uh, I, used to baby, I used to babysit for someone who had this. <laughs> I bet you did. Saucy, I tell you, late on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember um, all the controversy because everything, all sorts of smut got pumped out of that Astra bloody satellite. So I wonder it isn't bloody dirty and they have to get it down periodically and give it a wipe. <laughs> bloody thing. I had more porn put through it than a teenager's <laughs> mobile phone. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's anyway, it was, um, I remember a lot of discussion around that because at the time so there was this talk of if you move your satellite dish 32 degrees north by northeast or whatever, I, you know, I don't know why you move satellite dishes in that kind of coordinates. Point them more oh. up in a different direction. If you did that, you could intercept the RTL signal, which was at the first, initially it was it wasn't scrambled, um, and then that was you know free boobs is kind of the thing. It's all in German, but it doesn't matter, does it? Boobs, <laughs> boobs is kind of the way they were sort of pitching it. Time I never had a satellite dish, so I had no idea if that worked, and nor would I have cared. But no. um, I also have noticed around, you know, I've noticed that every now and again you'd be driving around and you'll see a ginormous satellite dish in someone's back, like a motorized one. You think that is a dedication to, you know, commitment to onanism. That I'm just, I, you know, I stand in admiration of that very carefully from a, you know, a fair distance. 4th of October, Jeremy Paxman makes his first regular appearance as presenter on BBC Two's Newsnight. And he'd be in there until 2014. Mm. He was a bit of a, he was a bit of a hard interviewer, wasn't he, Jeremy Paxman? He had a he had a reputation. Yeah, he famously was quite abrupt, wasn't he? Yeah, there's was a famous interview where he interviewed Michael Howard in 1997. 
where he asked him the same question 12 times in a row, which was, uh, did you threaten to overrule him? He just kept saying it. He just kept saying it. It's very funny, that it interview. Did. Michael Howard's like, ah, I've told you what I didn't, didn't do. Well, he, he says, in all due respect, um, you haven't answered the question. And then he asks the question again, did you threaten to overrule him? And he goes, well, look, this isn't about that. This is about whether I had the power to do that or whether I had the choice to do that. And he goes, no, no, just answer the Why are you avoiding the question? Answer the question. Did you? And, and he just keeps asking it like that. It's really, really, it's like 12 times. Yeah. Quite uncomfortable viewing, actually. 12. Um, yeah, and he Two. still doesn't answer it, even after all that. He doesn't. He doesn't. Michael Howard. No, he just doesn't. 20th of October, ITV introduces a third weekly episode of Coronation Street, which aired at Fridays at 7.30pm. Triple Street. Triple Ken. Triple Deirdre. Triple Mike. Triple Street. Triple Liz. 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 What's this? You always forgot about Kev. Are you going to read this out? This this poem, this uh, this ode you've written. This isn't an ode. This is. Uh, I will. I might even add the music to it at some point. But this is. Um, the, we always it. forget about Kev, don't we? Whenever we when, whenever we joke, we talk about you know <laughs> Ken Barlow and Deirdre Barlow and Mike Baldwin. But we always forget about Kev, and it made me think: Is there a Doctor Dre? Because Doctor Dre's obviously famous. Got a track called "Forget About Dre." You forgot about Dre. I thought, is there a is there a, an equivalent for Kev? Paul Kevin. Have you forgot about Kevin? Kevin? And it turns out there wasn't one. So I made one. I wrote what I did. <laughs> so, did. and that's the that's the written in our agenda. There is the is the version. Lad, you bloody well know me. Look at old Kev with me cup of builder's tea. I've been laid low working, mostly under cars. I get cross with Sally because she leaves my car keys under her bras. I'm still working out at our local garage. You have to work hard on keeping you married. I don't have much cash, just what's in me kitty? Could do with more, but that's just life in the big city. I might nip to the Rovers for a pint at lunch. If I see Ken Barlow, I'll give him a punch. Head home after work, Kev Sally's made me tea. I'm just Kev, you bloody well know me. <laughs> Nowadays, everybody wants to act like they know where our Sally's been, but they know nothing, just a bunch of gibberish, because everyone at Rovers forgot about Kevin. Nowadays, everybody wants to act like they know where our Sally's been, but they know nothing, just a bunch of gibberish, because everyone at Rovers forgot about Kevin. <laughs> um, I, I think you've got, you've got a Christmas number one there. Forgot about Kev. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do the uh, M&M parts, but I'll give it a go. Put a bit of Dido in, you'll be sorted. 29th of October, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher appears on ITV's The Walden interview with Brian Walden. His tough stance with Thatcher during the programme is one of the things that helps to contribute to her downfall the following year. I noticed, I've got the interview here, she blinks a lot. Is she really trained to blink like that? Was she really yes. trained to blink? Yes, she was. Wow. Yes. Why? The persona of Margaret Thatcher, the persona, the woman who talks like this and puts her head slightly to one side and blinks all the time. That was, she was trained. That's media training to train her to be like that because that's that was the person that she, you know, they made her portray. Mm-hmm. That's who she was. But that's not her as the person. That's her, the politician. Clever. Yeah. Even back then, though, I noticed she never answered the question. He's asking her about like the thing with uh, the... Of course not. Uh, the uh, Chancellor Exchequer. It was just a pox on politicians. They never answer anything. Answer a question. <sighs> they would have to admit to being either right or wrong or some, about something, and in doing so, either take or not take responsibility. That's not what a politician's job is. <laughs> True. Politicians live in a continual Schrodinger's world, don't they? They're neither right yes. nor wrong. Yes, they do. They're neither one thing nor the other. Schrodinger's politicians. Correct. There we go. That's it. Let's get some new shows. First of October, we could have been close to home. Oh, I watched a bit of this. Good. 
Yes. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Close to Home is a British television <laughs> sitcom created by Brian Cook, set in North London. It starred Paul Nicholas as vet and divorced father of two. And it starred Jane Bryars as a quirky veterinary nurse called Rose. The theme tune to this was so saccharine that I contracted diabetes. It was just awful. It's not as funny. Just as it just there's a couple of jokes in that opening sort of bit. It's just like I was like, oh, it's that crap. Crappily scripted canned laughter rubbish. No. Did you watch this? Um so yeah, Paul Nicholas, housewife's favourite, wasn't he though? A little bit. And I found a picture of him where he looks like the birdman from the <laughs> yeah, tablet. That was a bit unnerving. So was that who they modelled it on? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to think of half man, half bird Nicholas. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. That's horrible. It explains why he's got feathers, because he's got he's got feathers. <laughs> he has got feathers. Second of October is Breakfast News. This was a Breakfast News program which first aired on BBC One on the second of October. The program was previously known as Breakfast Time. It was planned to launch on eighteenth of September, but was held back two weeks due to technical issues with its new studio. What they were? Somebody somebody hadn't got their din plugs in the right slots. Yeah, all the <laughs> scar plugs had broken. Don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. Uh, I've never liked breakfast news. I don't like news at breakfast. I don't. don't like do it. Do you not like to start your day with a downer? No. No, I don't. Nowadays, no. does anybody watch breakfast news nowadays? Because it's all on your mobile phone, isn't it, So It is, but no, I don't. 4th of October is Nice Work. This is a British television adaptation of the Brooker Prize shortlisted 1988 novel of the same name by David Lodge. Really, really dull. Dreary, bleak. And the decorating in his bedroom was the stuff of nightmares. Awful. Couldn't take it. I didn't have yeah. my goodness me, that, yeah. those curtains. Ah, that duvet set. <laughs> the opening no. shots of that were just... No. <laughs> the opening shot where it just it pans down and just to a big sign saying menopause. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, the big, that, a giant bottle that, of tablets. Okay. Like, oh, bleak. Yeah, very bleak. On 5th of October, you could have watched Bluebirds which was a children's BBC drama, most notable for featuring uh, Barbara Windsor and Martin McCutcheon, first broadcast on 5th of October. Mm. Cheap. That's what this was, Graham. It was cheap. It was cheap. Yeah, that (laughs) intro was cheap. That intro was very cheap. Three shots of London with a hand-drawn kid's drawing of a bluebird floating over it. Yeah, did feel a bit. And even the intro before it had... um... Ed the Duck, didn't it? Whatever he was called. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it was clip. like, even that was like, here's a new shit series. And when it started, you're like, it all looks a bit naffy. It had a sort of dirty East Enders vibe about it, like a naffy East Enders as well. It was just well, like some dodgy guy in a leather jacket in a sort of a warehouse going, here, what you got here? Who you been pickpocketing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, he was oh, telling those kids, wasn't it? We can't sell these. <laughs> What's this you've been nicking? We can't sell Mars bars. Is this Oliver Twist shit going on. And then it cut to a really young Martin McCutcheon and on the opening, the wide yeah. shot of her, there's the boom in the top of the screen. It's always a good sign. It might have been made by youngins, you never know. It was a bit naff, I have to say. It was very naff. Um, 8th of October, you could have had Goals on Sunday, which I imagine would have been a delight for you. I never would have watched it. I've never <laughs> ever seen it. No. Uh, British Football Highlights television programme. It aired on ITV for three years or then went out for actually for ages. Uh, there's a clip here. You can have all the excitement of Rotherham versus Swansea as you eat your pile no. of brown. No, I never watched football and I never will. No, true. So. Not, not a fan, are you? No. 11th of October is Around the World in 80 Days with Michael Palin. Popular this was. way earlier than I thought that. I thought it was way, I thought it was way later. I didn't realise it was 1989. Goodness. Yeah. Well, I, re- yeah, I remember this was quite a big deal, wasn't it? He did a few of these. He did quite a lot of travel. He yeah, became a yeah, travelogue did. person, didn't he? He did. People liked him. Ex-Monty Python cast member. Michael Palin's a good presenter. He's kind of likeable. He does that kind of... English guy in a foreign town all the time, doesn't he? Play, principally plays a, kind of a Monty Python character going, oh, hello, oh, so you do it this way, do you? And it's a bit yeah. like, and I don't know, it felt like an escaped juice man from Del Monte, <laughs> sort of that kind of vibe. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, people yeah. like him. And of course he was, he had currency around the world because of Monty Python. So he, people, you know, he 
you got to do stuff and experience stuff that, you know, generally people wouldn't. So yeah, yeah it was all right. It was kind of interesting to see different cultures. That's for some people, the only way you got to experience some of that, some of those cultural things. It was true. Vicarious, you know, t- televisual tourism, wasn't it? It was quite big in the nineties at this time to go to foreign places and Ooh, look at the foreignness of that and let's interview some foreigners about foreign stuff that's true i mean yeah. it, it, you, one could say this was a sort of uh evolution of wicker's world yeah completely that i mean no wicker's world was another vicarious global tourism that yeah. and i uh, wish you were here with yeah. Gloria hunniford going up to benidorm every week going <laughs> the thing about benidorm is it's ever Why so cheap benidorm again <laughs> at least wicker <laughs> alan wicker went around the world really different weird places yeah. So yeah, it, that's the kind of vibe it is, though, isn't it? In the Wicker's World. Hello. Good evening. No, that was the the forest frost. <laughs> they they were frost. Yeah. Can't remember what Wicker's World was. I remember. I only remember Wicker's World because I remember that spooky show he did with the ghosts and all that lot. The Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World thing. Wasn't that Arthur so that C. Clarke? That was Arthur C. Clarke. I don't know why I conflagrated those two. <laughs> Alan Arthur Wicker. C. Clarke Alan around, Wicker the, around the world in 80 days. <laughs> the, the fourth great science fiction writer of our time. Alan Wicker. Alan Wicker. I might remember Alan Wicker from the Visa adverts. Chunky must. Yeah. Yeah. The American Express, I think, didn't he? Yeah. So, so with certain charge cards I can mention. Yeah. yeah, yeah access yeah. or whatever. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, totally not who I thought it was, but. No. I don't know who it was. <laughs> Mustache and glasses. It doesn't narrow it down. It could be anybody. It could be Freddie Mercury. <laughs> true. That true, would have been interesting. Be. Anyway. Uh, 15th of October, it was America. That's with a K. It was an American America. television. Yeah, America. American television's miniseries that was broadcast in 1987 in the US on ABC. And it, the, the miniseries inspired a novelization entitled America, The Triumph of the American Spirit. Essentially, it's yeah. about life in the United States after a bloodless takeover engineered by the Soviet Union, led by yeah. Sam Neill. Good Lord. Goodness me. Okay. Weird. Chris Christopherson stood up to him, though, by the looks of things. Not sure. I, th- I, I think someone would just watch Red Dawn. Yeah, totally that. Yeah, without all of the teenagers of it. Yeah, totally. It's like adult Red Dawn. Adult Red Dawn, yeah. Red cosy <laughs> afternoon, maybe, or red afternoon tea or something. <laughs> Yeah, red evening. Yeah. <laughs> red brunch. Yeah, red dusk. Yeah. <laughs> 16th of October. Well, this was a, a bit of a perennial favourite, wasn't it? This was Birds of a Feather started. Yeah, yeah, I never got the joke. No, yeah. it, it wasn't aimed at us. It wasn't aimed at us. Totally not aimed at us. I don't, <laughs> so, uh, no, it's the same same people that think Absolutely Fabulous is size-splittingly hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's as good. Yeah. Not me. So, so if you don't know what Bears of Feather is, it was a British sitcom starred Pauline Quirk, Linda Robson, Leslie Joseph. It was basically about three women. One of them, husbands, was in prison and they were just trying mm. to sort of, it was a bit of a comedy of things yeah, that happened yeah. to them. I never watched it. 17th of October, Sticky Moments. Mm. British television comedy game show that was broadcast on Channel 4 with Julian Cleary. Basically, they used to just pick the audience and the contestants out of the queue outside yeah um, it was waiting right. to get in okay. and then they just they, there was no plan for it and it just went it was just a series of general knowledge questions with julian cleary being a bit all matron sort of yeah totally that and sad really because he's a really funny comedian but they, this is how they do it they make it not about him being a comedian and they make it about him being camp yeah yeah they do. and that's what they kind of do and then they, they sideline almost all of these acts end up doing that kind of thing for tv because that's how tv even to this day, a little bit palatizes the difference that and the challenges of homosexuality and representations of gender and things on TV. They just can't handle it, so yeah. they end up putting them in really weird shows. Joe Lysette's the latest one. He's a funny comedian, but he's now part doing a show that's some kind of. I guess it's like a, a show where they're sort of investigating companies and scams and things like that and that kind of thing, um, consumer show type um. thing. And then he's also doing a, a comedy show very similar to the one that Julian Cleary did, and that's kind of. But that's you know even. 
if you think back to the early days of Graham Norton, before he was doing all of his TV interviews, Graham Norton started on shows like that, where he was kind of doing a Mr. and Mrs., but it was for gay couples and stuff. And they all seem to start there. You can go back to um, Larry Grayson on the Generation Game. Yeah, stuff completely. Like that. Yeah, completely. It's just, you know, they all seem to end up sidelining and going for quirky. And then that TV program is completely made of Julian Curry cracking sort of side one-liners about gender stuff and homosexual jokes. Not a jokes on about homosexuality, but in jokes twisted and contorted into sort of double entendre. And ooh, Matron is exactly right. And I can't believe he would go for it. He looks permanently bored and frustrated throughout those shows as well. Yeah. So. Although the, the clip I did find sort of thing, his very first day where he just, his, his reaction when he asked that guy what colour his suit is, it had, did make me laugh. Because he's funny. He's just generally funny yeah, when he's being sarcastic. He and it's, yeah, it's a shame. Uh, 27th of October, you could have watched The Smoggies. Could have if you'd have wanted to be lectured by television, yeah. Yeah, so this was a French animated children's television show. It was originally created by Sinar, or Sinar. Took place on and around the fictional Coral Island and revolved around a group of island-dwelling people called the Sun Tots and a trio of polluting treasure hunters called the Smoggies. Mm. I did laugh at the opening credits. But, yeah, you know, that, the, the lyrics. Yeah. Have you have you met the Smoggies? We love the sutton grime. We make the whole world dirty and we have a real good time. We love to make things messy, just as dirty as can be, and you can bet we'll mess you up ecologically. It's like, oh, God, they, they, they really wanted that word in there, didn't they? Yeah, I've got to say, I applaud them for managing to get the word ecologically in with a rhyme and everything. That's quite <laughs> that's quite good. Well, later in that, the song, when the Sun Tots do their bit, they say, we use the water, wind and sun to make our homes and gadgets run. Where else can you have such fun environmentally? But they're the forgotten to actually rhyme anything with environmentally. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? It's like, you know, probably, maybe it does, because that's the whole song. That's like that's just a little sample of it. To make our homes and gadgets be that would have been better. Don't try and fix the bloody <laughs> smoggies. <laughs> it annoys me. The rhyme up top, not down below. No, that's not all the lyrics. Remember, that's just a sample. Oh, okay. You know, if you, you, the whole song is about six choruses, seventeen verses. It's long. <laughs> True. There's a, Too long. There's a, there's a prog break in the middle. There <laughs> is. There is, and it's that horrible style of animation that I hate as well. At that time, just you know, it's written by what, what they call Iron Iron Butterfly. Or yeah, it, it could have been. Could have been. 24th of October is the Dick Francis Mysteries. The mystery being how I managed to avoid them <laughs> and the answer being because I never would have seen them. No. Um, I, I do believe, thing. I think I did read about half a Dick Francis book ages ago. It was just, just, just posh people and horses. That's all I seem to remember. Oh, one of them, is it? Right. Okay. Yeah, very much so. And there's always, there's a bit of crime. There's way too, there's almost crime around horses. There's too much crime around horses. They are a terribly criminal bunch, them horses. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't trust them. Crafty, as you said. Crafty, as you yeah, said. Yeah, they'll, they'll knit your car if you leave it running or anything like that. They'll be in it, <laughs> off, thinking they can control it with their stupid hooves. You can't control it. You don't have thumbs. Some stupid argument about horsepower. I don't know. I don't get it. But if you see a horse near your car, make sure you bloody lock it fast. True. Okay. That's yeah, on the last on that thing note, you need. On that note, 29th of October, you could have watched Mother Love. I wouldn't have. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> no, this is a Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg starred in this. is a version of a 1983 novel concerning a mother's obsessive love for her son, vengeful hatred of his father, her ex-husband, and the effect on her daughter-in-law and grandchildren. Mm, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> um, Diana Rigg's always worth watching, to be fair, but no. Yeah, I, I watched a bit of this. Again, it was a bit saucy. but um... Would have been, would have been. Would have been. Uh, if you didn't fancy any of that on the TV, why would you? Um, 6th of October, you could have gone seen K9. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Jim Belushi continues his buddy cop movies after Red mm. Heat. 
Now he's got a dog. A dog on heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a dog on heat. The buddy cop movie's got interspecies. Oh, there was a few no. of these, weren't there? Turner yeah, and Hooch. This one. Turner and Hooch. That was I couldn't think of the bloody name for it. Yeah, Turner and Hooch. That was yeah, it was in that. That was um, that was a uh, one Hanks. Tom Hanks. <laughs> no wonder he's Turner and Hooching. <laughs> there were a load of these. Yeah. And or there were, yeah, there were tons of if not dogs, stars with kids or just yep. you know, odd buddy cop like stopping my mom will shoot with Stallone. Yeah. Burt Reynolds did yep. that cop and a half. Oh gosh, yeah. Kindergarten cop. Kindergarten cop. There was tons of these where it's like, let's yeah. buddy him up with someone odd. And that's what was one of the funny bits, which is in uh, Last Action Hero, when there's the animated... Who's partnered with the animated cat? Always oh, makes yeah. me laugh. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah, it's, it's, not good. it's not my cup of tea. I didn't like any of those films at all. I don't... I generally not no. a big fan of many of the buddy, buddy cop movies, really. Maybe, you know, Lethal Weapon and maybe one or two others. But when it went into Species, I tuned out totally. Yeah. Like, no. No, no, yeah. no. It's got stupid. It's always time for Dragnet, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, 13th of that was all you could have done. That was it, 6th of October. 13th of October, yeah. though, you could have gone seen The Abyss. Could have. <laughs> Maybe you should have. <sighs> but you might have been horribly disappointed. Yeah. I'm not sure the film... I mean, there's a, there's a great making of about the horror that this was to make. Yes, there's there is. an article and a video. So it was just horrendous, horrific for cast, crew, and everybody involved. Oh, they hated it. Doesn't sound like a good production, and I'm really not sure that the end product is massively worth it. No, I mean worth it for for James Cameron because he was determined to make sure that film got made. Yeah, but they didn't anticipate certain things. The amount of breakdowns in that film with equipment is crazy. The amount of people who were getting ill for spending so much time in water. Yeah, and um, because you know because they were spending majority of their time submerged. Well, it's not good. But you know, even they weren't always in like wetsuits and dry suits and stuff like that. Just being underwater and stuff, it's not generally good for you. They had loads yeah. of problems with that. Not to mention, they, I think they nearly drowned Ed Harris. I think he nearly died at one point. Yeah. Of, that part with the liquid oxygen bit is actually a thing. They did actually do that. So, yeah. you know, the part where you see him struggling for breath and fl- flapping about, it's all for real. He's not making that up. He's actually drowning. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Um, no. Elizabeth Mastrantoni refuses to be interviewed to this day about that film. Really? she said it's so, so traumatic. Yeah, she literally traumatised by it. Apparently Cameron was a bit of an asshole on that set as well, so they say. So they say, allegedly. allegedly. Wow. All that for a big purple splat of an alien spaceship? Well, you have to put part of the abyss to one side because it was a groundbreaking special effects in it. I mean, that was the oh, birth the wa- of Morphin. The, wa- the water of alien yeah. water effects. Yeah, okay, they're yeah. good, but... But it's not just about the it's not just about the visual, as in the 3D effect of the water on there, which is okay. It's the fact that they used for the first time proper motion capture tracking, so they tracked that shot, and that was unheard of at the time. Yeah, yeah. which meant that they could move the camera and have the 3D in it, and then track it about. And then they also had ray tracing, didn't they, on the the water to reflect the some of that. And this this it's just groundbreaking visuals in it. They don't look like that now, but but then I remember when I first saw that water sort of tube go through the thing, I was it blew my mind. That when the door closes and it just turns back to water, I was like, wow, what is that? And then. Of course, we saw the the next generation of that was Terminator Two, but yeah, you know, the Abyss has some amazing visuals in it. All said and done, it's just a pity the story's diarrhea. <laughs> it's just a it's overly it's, it's Cameron syndrome in it since since this really it's overly long, overly long, overly long. There was some mad edits in made in it. The story changed halfway through. There's, you know, go and watch the videos about the making of. There's there's the couple there. There's a really good one. We'll post them in the show notes. Just you'll know that because they added an ending, didn't they? they had to reshoot an entire ending because the ending wasn't quite right. Mm. The, the test audiences hated it, so they added this re- weird ending where this sort of the giant plastic thing comes out the sea, and then the, then that wasn't enough. So then they had the giant waves terrorizing everybody, and 
Oh, it's just, it just goes, you know, and then Ed Harris, you know, talking to them via screen. It's just, when things went wrong, they went badly <laughs> they wrong went at that wrong. point. And, and Michael Bean going wrong. crazy and with the shakes yep. and stuff. That always reminded me, that plot thing, that plot beat. Obviously, it's a thing to do, but film Sunshine, it's very similar. Yeah, Sunshine's a great film. I've but that's very, that sim- very similar plot beat with the, yes. with the, the crew member going a bit haywire. Yeah, the one that went bonkers, yeah, and sort of lost it, went all, you know, crazy complex and that, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. it, it, I think for me it's it's probably, it's not top-tier Cameron for me. It's lower tier. No, you can tell that he's, there's demands being made of a crew and of a cast that are way in excess of what would normally be. I mean, I forget, I forget how much how long it took. It's something two and a half years, isn't it? So they were in the water yeah. for about nine months in total, if you add it all up, how much time they're in and out. That's Some not of good them for anyone. Nearly drowning several times. It's just a nightmare. What a nightmare! And then he did the old thing again with with Titanic. Titanic. Yeah, you'd think he'd lose, learn his message, learn his, uh, learn yeah. his lesson. Yeah, well, for whatever reason, the film was hugely popular. Yeah. If you didn't fancy the abyss and you wanted something a little bit different, you could have gone seeing the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Hmm. Brown Sauce loves this, doesn't he? Al Wilson. He does. Is it? He says it's in his. Is it top five films or one of yeah, his top favorite films? It's in his favorites. Yeah. Um, I never got it. Never did it for me. This I can't remember who's the director on this. It's um, Peter Greenaway, isn't it? That's it, Peter Greenaway. And I never got on with Peter Greenaway's films anyway. No, I fa- no, I didn't. No, I just and I found this just a bit. Oh, I remember everyone raving about it at the time, but it was like, oh no, not for me, not for me. Drowning by Numbers and stuff. Not a Greenaway fan. Drowning by Numbers is an intriguing film, but only because you know the numbers in it. But yeah. I've never found any of these films, and I know Gary likes them because he likes the soundtracks and everything else. Not, I just found this as to be like bollocks. Really. <laughs> Sorry, but it is. <laughs> not to put a fine pun on it. <laughs> <laughs> the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover of bollocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just bollocks is the <laughs> best phrase I can think of for that. If you didn't fancy that, you could have gone seeing Queen of Hearts. Oh, tell us what it's about. It's an Italian couple defy both their families and marry for love. Four children oh. later. It's a weird Ooh. it's a weird way of measuring time. That's like a ringler. <laughs> 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 how old are you four children wow okay wow. Goodness. they are running a diner in england humorous dramatic sad everything a movie should be yeah boring that's the imdb right up <laughs> i didn't write yeah. that that's the director same day you could have gone seen oliver and company uh i have no memory of this none this is a disney cartoon about version of uh oliver twist but with it cats is. and dogs yeah and it died a death <laughs> That's if that if there's ever a film that got distemper, it's that one. <laughs> well, Didn't I don't end I, well. I've never heard of this. Didn't no, you know when you go, oh, I kind of remember that. No, just, yeah. just well, there's, there's reasons why it it bombed at the box office. Really, it's a cat. It's one of Disney's massive super flops. It's up there with you know. It's, it, we're talking black hole territory. Oh lord, so, you know, uh, not quite so- Song of the South territory. That's a whole separate like area of disney we, d- we don't go near that no we don't go near uh, but that it's black cauldron fox and the hound you know down that road oh, but I oliver like fox and, and the hound. it was massively popular on sell through um, though what was it oliver and company yeah that's how i remember it because loads of people want, bought it on the, everyone buys disney movies at that time on video if it came out disney with a disney label on it people would buy it it's just so. e- it's just easy to keep the kids entertained you know with the oh, video just and people and started company. to collect them well they became a collection I mean even the really weird ones like the three cabaneros and things like that people would be like you got that three cabaneros I'm like bloody hell three what? cabinets you got the three cabinets you got that three <laughs> cabaneros you know the ones with the parrots and Disney and that oh, it's really good I wouldn't it? I bought it from a collection I'm like alright chill out 
Blimey. I've got it here in the back with Oliver and Company. What's that? Oh, God, why did I mention that? <laughs> and we've got the Black Cauldron as well. We used to call them vidbots. People used to come in <laughs> with that kind of with that kind of persona. We'd call them vidbots. So when the, when the vidbots came in, they wanted their vidbot dues and they would do whatever it took to get them. So, yes. Good old vidbots. That was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. 20th of October, you could have gone seeing Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I don't remember this. No. I, I don't remember this being particularly good. Uh, over to you. This is more your area. <laughs> well, he won't remember it being very good because it isn't. All oh, right, that'll be why then. It's in the chain, isn't it? So one, not so good. Two, good. Three, not so good. Four, okay. Five, dun, dun. directed by <laughs> William Shatner, or it in is, this yeah. instance, William Shitner. Um, <laughs> it's awful. It's a stupid film. It's it's really not very good with a crew that clearly aren't buying into the story, a really weak story about a guy that just wants to fly to the, the final frontier. Um, it's something to do with, it's like it's almost like an emotional movie. It's like mind-melding with Kirk and with Spock and everybody and getting the innermost fears and making them feel them. I and mean, it's just utter crap. What's he, what was it, the final frontier then? Because I seem to remember it's something to do with God or something in it. God is at the end, yeah. It's God. It's, it, honestly, don't watch it. Just go straight to six. <laughs> That's the, the best advice anyone can ever give you. Go four, six. You know, only watch five if you have to. I've read, read just reading the plot here on thingy. It's not good. Kirk, Captain Kirk and his crew must deal with Mr. Spock's long lost half brother on IMDb, sorry, who hijacks the Enterprise for an obsessive search for God at the centre of the galaxy. Well, that's yeah. the, not the final frontier, is it? That's the middle. Yeah, and it's not only that, there's a black hole at the centre of the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. Stupid. It is. It's, it's, it's a stupid plot, stupid film. There's a couple of humorous moments in it, part where um, Uhura does like a sexy, sexy feather dance. Um, it's just it's just a mishmash of stupid ideas that none of them work. It's not good. It's and you're doing a Tom Cruise style rock climb at the beginning as well, if I remember rightly. Oh, I was thinking he, you wouldn't mention that. <laughs> and he falls off. Did he fall off? Yeah, because Spock, Spock turns up in hover boots. Hover boots, and then he, he rescues him in a really, really bad rear projection, like <laughs> blue screen effect. It's just so bad. <laughs> just, uh, just, just look. Do me a favor. Just don't watch it. Just, all right, I won't. I won't. Pretend it doesn't exist. Star Trek Five. For some reason, it doesn't work. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't work. Oh, no. Awful. Twenty so seventh uh, of October. Another brown sauce favorite was the Rachel Papers. He'll be going. He'll be properly giddying right now. I've mentioned that uh, film. I can imagine the reason he liked it. Yeah. Well, I only Sky. It's basically yeah. it's based on a Martin Amos novel, and it's just a lot of Dexter Fletcher. And I, I remember Dexter Fletcher and Ioni Sky having a lot of sex in it. Pretty much, yeah, what I remember that is pretty much what happens in it. Isn't it? Dexter Fletcher's a big movie director now, isn't he? Uh, he, is, yeah. that, um, he did that Elton John movie recently. But yeah, Ioni Sky, she was you know quite attractive in the day, wasn't she back then? So yeah, what else was she in? Was she in Say Anything? Uh, I want to say yes, but I genuinely, I'm unsure. You'd have to, you know, go and check out IMDb or something for that. I'm pretty sure um, she, she is was. in something else that she's quite famous for. I'm pretty sure of that. So, but yeah, I, but I, I'm not anything, a film I yeah. really like. Yeah, I'm not a film I, I really like. I don't. But it's not my cup of tea. Gary has a type, you know, a type of tea, and he likes it. <laughs> you know, especially if there's you know nubile couples in it, rutting. It tends to be, you know, on his radar generally. Say, say it like you mean it. <laughs> Rutting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. She was in Wayne's World as well. Oh, of course she is, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's not watching this for, you know, for the deep antagonistic teen <laughs> angst that, no, it's not. He'll that, argue is it? that he he's... is, but I remember talking to him why, about why he was watching it, and I, I well remember. He'll argue with it is, but he'll notice he's got six pairs of underpants in the wash that day. <laughs> No, 
his mum would say, how come you're washing your underpants so often? And it was because that, that was the week that film came out. And he would have got a copy of it from his dodgy mate down the pub. He would have, yeah. Same day, you had Shirley Valentine. <sighs> and I, I thought it, this, I, I did actually think that the day that the Rachel Papers came out, was, which is, you know, the male fantasy of women, um, yeah. that film is, compared to Shirley Valentine, which is the reality yeah. of, the reality for women of drudgery of life and what their fantasy might be. It's kind of an yeah, interesting totally. opposite sort of dichotomy there, but... Um, but yeah. There's no direction for that film where I'm part of the demographic for it. <laughs> no, you are not. There just isn't. Do you not like Bernard? But what's his name? No. There's nothing. I can't. I've tried watching it. No, there's no. Just there's, I'm, there's no in for me. Uh, no in for me, not in for me. There's no in. Do you not I don't like particularly it? like the actor or actresses in it. I don't like the story of it. I'm the wrong demographic massively, and I, I've always been the wrong demographic. So you're a big Tom Conti fan? No, even now when I'm 50, if I went back to it now, I would, it just wouldn't connect with me because there's nothing connectable about it. It's It was aimed at a specific audience, and that's fine for that audience, but it wasn't me. It wasn't you, no. <laughs> and that works for me as it works for everyone else. It's good. No, I I, I mean, it's a, I think it's a very good film, but um, again, it's not, I could, I could give or take. I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. I've, I have watched it. I've watched it, and it's quite it's quite funny in places. It's that Ted. Talk, it's very much you know her talking to the camera, isn't it? A lot of the time and sort of breaking yeah, the fourth it's that, wall. It's like Rita Sue like and that, so. Bob too, kind of yeah. You know, it's that kitchen, kitchen sinky stuff, kitchen maybe sink but. drama. But sort of she goes off to Greece, is it, and meets Tom Conti yeah, or something? Like, yeah, exactly. And I remember her talking to a wall briefly, and the bits I've seen. So. Finally, you could have also watched Old Gringo. Maybe you could. <laughs> Jane Fonda, Gregory Peck, Jimmy Smits. In some no. story about something or other, I don't know. <laughs> no. Fonda and Peck, count me out. <laughs> so I've lived my life by that motto. <laughs> Gregory Peck is a very watchable actor. Oh, absolutely. You can't knock Gregory Peck. He's, he's no, he's amazing. In, um, is, if you watch him in um, Cape Fear, got a lot of time for him. Good in that. Hmm? But he's just a good actor, solid actor. Jane Fonda's good in what she's normally in. She just As she got older, the roles became a bit drier well that was that's that's the curse of old women in hollywood at this time isn't it once you get old you're not wanted you're an old, still woman, making older films. woman yeah but back then it's like if you're an older woman you're not wanted yeah. that was the whole point wasn't it that's the so it's interesting but anyway that's mm-hmm. it that's your tv and video film sorry tv and film okay. with vidbots not a lot to really sort of make you run to the cinema there is there quite a bit no, to make nothing, you run away you don't get any teeth into anything yeah you'd have probably got to see the abyss because you'd have heard about the effects and then you'd have been bored out of your mind with yeah, i didn't two know. hours of being underwater I never. I saw it on video. No, same. Sorry, same, sorry, sorry. I saw and it. And the director's cut later as well. And I certainly didn't go see K9. Nothing there. There we go. That's it. Let's going to take a break. We'll be back. We still have three games to get through and round out October 1989. So please do stay with us. And we're back. Let's get October 1989 out of the way, pushed to the side so we can move on to November. We still have three games, though, and that first one, Graham, has you, and you are visiting Buffalo Bill's Wild West Rodeo Show. Tell us about it. Well, let's hear a yee-haw for that. Woo-haw! Yee-haw! Uh, 80 percents. £9.95 pence to you. Mm, Published bargain. by Tynesoft. Coded by Michael Headley. Headley! That's um, the guy that did circus games. And you can sort of tell. You can tell, yeah. Uh, the graphics are Michael Owens. I think he did circus games as well. You can sort of tell. Yeah, 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 you can. And the music this time is by the uh, colonel himself, David Whitaker. <laughs> David Whitaker. In this instance, goodness, he is clearly, you know, very patriotic for whatever reason in this, goodness. So as soon as you start this, a stirring version of the Star Spangled Banner, the United States National Anthem, will 
welcome you to this wholly American uh, multi-sport extravaganza. From Tyneside. <laughs> From Tyneside, yeah. Fuck <laughs> on the Tyneside. Weird. But, you know, ode to the circus they do. You know, they've looked around. They thought, where else can we put a multi-sport game? And then they suddenly realized the USA is rich fodder for this kind of thing with its plethora of unusual sports and timings. So once you uh, you do that and you've that, that appears, and the graphics throughout this title screen, loading screen, the graphics are all actually really, really good, in all fairness. Very good indeed. So you'll click on fire, and then you'll get to an even bouncier version of the Yellow Rose of Texas. By this point, you're like, hey! He sort of does uplift you. It's loud and, and bullshit and in your face and it lifts you and you've got to choose your number of players. Thematically, it's all shouting in your face at the minute. It's all great. The chosen typeface for this, the way they present that typeface in kind of the Western style, I give it a complete thumbs up. That is how yeah. you do a UI for a game based in the USA and the West and sort yes, of Buffalo Bills Wild West Rodeo. You've got an old school poster type vibe and you've got sort of the, the way they would do the kind of font and the typeface and it's an up sort of Wild West typeface. I'm giving them 10 points out of 10 for that. Very rare we see that. So mm. well done. And it's nice and bold as well. It's not tiny, squashed into the middle of the screen. No, you can't really miss it. <laughs> it no. takes up the whole damn screen. It's massive. Yep. All good. So in this game, Adrian, you get to choose from uh, seven different items to do. Mm. That is trick shooting, knife throwing, calf roping, bottle shooting, steer wrestling, bronco riding, and stagecoach rescue. Ooh, Ooh la la. And of course, you can work just work your way through these. Now, this is a classic tradition, multi-sport, multi-pick. You know, you can have multi-players and all that kind of thing, which is nice, which is nice. Mm-hmm. All good. It's all good. So I'm just going to go through the events as I went through them one by one, because I was lucky enough, full disclosure, to have the cart version of this, which you found. So I literally had no loading times, which meant <laughs> this was this game was like a gunshot going off in my face. It's very um, fast. It's like, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm not sure that the, the loading times were, might have been necessary for you to just palletize some of the <laughs> download of, you know, patri- patriotic USA flag waving that's going to shout in your face <laughs> at any given moment than this. But let's just say that this game's heart is in the Wild West of, of that kind of tradition, Wild West Rodeo, obviously. And it, it lives there and it breathes it and it is in your face and you can't get out of it. And nor will you maybe want to. So it's a multi-game. Let's go for the first one then, trick shooting. So in this, targets, it's kind of a target shooting game. Targets pop up in that kind of tradition where you've got a crosshairs that you control with the joystick and it kind of slides around. So it's got, it's got, it's trying to emulate the weight of a gun. Yeah, it's got it a bit of inertia on it. Yeah, so it's, and that's so, and that's to give it kind of, so it's, and that sort of compensates for the way that you move it around because it's just a little bit, these games never really work that well on joystick, do they? Let's be fair. So this is about as good as it's going to get with the joystick in that respect. So targets pop up, some of the things you need to shoot, so baddies, and these are, you know, banditos, as it were, you know, gun wielding banditos, but there's also innocent people with their hands up, sheriffs. And also innocent women and whatnot. So you don't shoot those ones, but you do shoot the baddies. They pop up, you know, gradually one at a time, and then it gets more and more and more and quicker and quicker and quicker. And you just got to, you know, shoot as many as you can. You get a limited range of bullets, I think. Um, so yeah, you, you so you, uh, over time, when you run out of bullets, I think principally that's the game over for that. I don't remember. I think you get a penalty in this if you shoot one of the goodies by accident. So you just don't get as yeah. many points. I don't think it negatively affects your score. I can't remember. But you just don't achieve points unless you get the right people. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's related to how quickly you get to them, or I don't think it's where you shoot them. I think it's how I think quickly it's as long you, as you shoot, shoot them. them. Yeah. So you accumulate score, and you'll go through that. Like I said, the sliding of the the sort of crosshairs that you've got the target 
it kind of works for what it is, but it does lack sort of, sort of proper indication that you've got the right or the wrong thing. So you just have to yeah. assume that, you know, you're shooting the wrong thing. Because it doesn't go, eh, ah, or when you get the right one, you get nothing. Yeah. So you just go, did I shoot that? You know, should that have been one I shot? Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, I got 2,460 points. Good. I don't know if that's good or not. Is it good? I don't know. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Sounds good. But maybe. So once you've finished on that, and by the way, this is like breaking experience. Like, do you, you get a chance? Do you want to shoot again? If you press yes, you're instantly back in. Boom. If you press no, it's like, blah, 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 and it's like, it's like, <laughs> the menu screens appear. And each one's got different music, different loud, patriotic, USA based music. You know, you, you, you've got the top 10 patriotic, you know, CD on in the background here. <laughs> it is. It's very much like that. So, um, you know, it's just like the next one is like, you know, super loud, but it, it is keeping to the theme. So each, it goes back to the same sort of background that you started with, same typeface, same poster. Same, you know, simple questions. Do you want to replay? Yes. If you do, you go back into it. If no, loads the next one in. Tells you what it is. You get a nice screen in between, all of which graphics are quite nice, are really nicely drawn. All of the shading and the, the interstitial drawings, everything in this game, top-notch stuff. Mm. A bit like it was for circus attractions, you know, they've got that bit down to a T. Good production there. Anyway, so if you've gone from, from trick shooting, you'll go to knife throwing. A problematic one, but not for necessarily the reasons you might think. So firstly, this is set on an Indian reservation, North American and Indian reservation. So no Native American camp, as it were. It's that kind of cowboy and Indian type view of that kind of... that. Kind, so it's kind of movie Native Americans. Mm-hmm. So, okay. On this screen, you'll have a sort of camp in the background. There's a horse, a couple of wigwams, um, some mountains in the background. And then you've got your knife thrower, who is a Native American, feathers in the hair. You see him from the back. Okay, to the right of that, there's a score, there's your bonus. And in the top right-hand corner, you have a, a giant wheel with, I'm guessing, your assistant tied to it. And that spins around in circles, and then you've got to throw knives at them. The circle that she's tied to has got like a coloured sort of coloured segments. Mm-hmm. And depending on what segment you get your knife into, and I'm not sure that if it depends on how close you are to the person either, but depending on what segment you get it in, depends on the, the score you'll get. And I think you get bonus points for being nearer, you know, the, shot, the, the throw being more daring. So if it's near the head, <laughs> stuff like that. Now, let me tell you, I killed this woman twice instantly. <laughs> yeah. So I threw the first knife straight in her head and then a whole blood screen sort of trickles down the screen from the top. I was like, goodness me, that's dark. It does go a bit shining. <laughs> yeah. It does go a bit shining the screen from the lip. filled with blood. Yeah. I was like, what? Is that? I thought this was meant to be fun. So I thought, I better have another go. Started again, instantly did exactly the same thing. It was uncanny. <laughs> Just threw the knife directly into her brain. I was like, oh, God damn it. I'm a good shot. What can I say? I'm a good shot. <laughs> So anyway, I figured right. Maybe I'd put the you know the, the crosshairs. You have like a target crosshairs that you can move your you move your um, target yeah, yeah. target on the person, and you press fire to throw essentially. But it's all in the timing, isn't it? Because it takes time for the knife to get yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So it's timing. So he raises the knife. It's well animated, and he throws it. And then it's just about the timing of the spin. And if you don't time it right, you're going to kill her. You only get one chance. If he hits her, she's dead. That's it. Blood. You get the blood curtain. And you're like, oh <laughs> you god, it's so dark. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to see that again. Anyway. So I managed to uh, sort of conquer my fears and managed to get through that. I got 5,656 points at the end of that. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was bad at all. This is where my scoring kind of ended, to say, because the events get quite tricky after this. Mm -hmm. So after I'd finished with that, graphically, by the way, and animation-wise, I'm going to to say that on the one hand, this game is of its time in the sense that it's set in the Wild West, but it is set in the Wild West. And so the thematic of the Indian with the feathers in the hair and everything else, it, it adheres to kind of a Hollywoodized version of it but they're not doing anything that's horribly stereotypical. So there isn't some thump, 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 yeah, thump yeah. music in the background. It is just knife throwing it, and it could have been anyone throwing that knife, and it turns out it was me, and I'm rubbish. Then. But there's no levity in that. You know, you hit that woman, and I mean, I was expecting a blood-curdling scream, like a sample, ah! as well. 
but thankfully that didn't add that it would have it could have done anyway so once you get past that and go you know go through your options you get the calf roping now here you've got a top-down view so you're on a horse on the left and the top you've got a, a lasso that you're sort of circling around and then the the calf is on the run on the right-hand side of the screen. And then there's kind of like at the top and the bottom, you've got like a trail. So they're tires, or I think, or, bar- or hay bales. But either way, they're barrels. Yeah. But they're there to stop, to give you an idea of road, roadway. And you're on kind of ground as a kind of indication that you're on the ground. Again, the graphics here are actually really good. Yeah. And it kind of works. Even in this view, it works. And the idea here, you control your person with the joystick on the horse, and you've got to kind of run with the horse. He's waving his lasso, and you have to get behind it, press your fire button, launches the lasso out, and you've got to try and lasso and rope the calf. Sounds simple. It didn't. It didn't at no, all. It's not. No. no matter what I did, I could not rope that damn calf. It would just, I did it and you only get one go. So once it's out and you miss, it's end. Do you want to play again? Yes. And the turnaround is fast. Like I said, it's in your face, but I just couldn't do it. I kept running up behind it, pressing the rope. It kind of went over to the right a little ways. And I thought maybe I need to be slightly above it. Tried that. No matter what I tried, I could not rope that calf. So I didn't succeed, but you don't have to succeed in every event. I just didn't get a very good score. I got 33 and I'm not even sure what I got that for. <laughs> yeah. It's a pity score. <laughs> pity score, yeah. So I couldn't rope it anyway. So that was my experience of that. I went on to bottle shooting. This is, uh, again, graphics are really nice on this because you get a nice background view of the kind of mountainside. And then on the left-hand side, there's a cowboy who throws bottles in the air. You have a crosshairs that t- it's kind of centerized. So it goes up and down the middle, but you can move it left and right once the bottle has been thrown. You can't move it prior to that. And it always resets back to the bottom. So you have to start from your gun being down by the side. Once the bottle's in there, you then have to draw your weapon and shoot and move and target around and shoot, which is quite nice. The way you control the target reticule works similarly to the other shooting event. The only downside to this one is that the bottles are really small that he throws and they throw them at different distances. So sometimes it throws it quite far, sometimes quite high, sometimes quite short, and you can't really get the movement in to get the bottle. Really, you're only really going to shoot the ones that are in the middle column. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. move too far to up or down, you're going to miss if you move too far to the left and right, you won't you won't get it because you, your traveling will pr- not predict the movement of the bottle. And sometimes the bottle seems to drop to the ground before you've even got a chance to get anywhere near it. So it's a little bit flawed in logic, but the, the way they've constructed it, the way it looks is really nice. It just doesn't quite work. And again, you just keep shooting until you run out of bullets. There's a bullet indication on the top right of that one with like a little bullet casings. The graphics are nice, I have to yeah. say. All yeah, nice. Even the really animation on the guys throwing the bottle, they're all good. It's just a bit of a thankless task, that one. So I scored 50 on that, which isn't Not great. Bad. I got a bonus of 882, and then I lost it instantly. So, <laughs> so I, I, I got a lucky shot off, and then that was that. Um, after that, you go to the steer wrestling. Now, this is a really odd one. Um, this time you're in some kind of sort of um, arena type thing, like a like a place where they would do rodeos. I don't know what they call them, like a, a rodeo. I think rodeo. that's what it's called. And so you've got like a crowd at the top, sat behind a fence watching you, suitably cowboy attire, you know, hats and things like that. Beards, there's a little beard in there somewhere noticeable, which is a nice touch. Um, and you are a rider on a horse, seen from the side view. In the middle, there is a steer uh, running a bit wild. And at the bottom, there's that kind of a pacer guy who runs along at the side of the of the steer as well. The idea of this is quite simple. You have to run, use your joystick to control the horse all the way racing towards the steer. Press your fire button and he does a heroic leap off his horse. And the idea is that you land on the back of the steer. Now, I'm assuming after that, you probably have to wrestle it. I never actually got that far because I never actually managed to land on the damn thing. No, did I. <laughs> so no matter how many times I tried, and you've got a time limit on this one as well. So I think you've got 60 seconds, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a time limit on the screen. There's an indication as well in the corner of the right-hand corner of something else. But I'm thinking that that's your score. But I never actually achieved any because on this one, I never actually, I got near it and just basically watched all the people in that rodeo were just watching a guy heroically leap off a horse vertically. <laughs> Probably so get I'm not sure what the, you call it. Really. by its back yeah. legs. That's what happened to Horse me. leaping. He is a great horse leaper, that one. 
from a family of horse leapers. Exactly. (laughs) So I didn't get into that. Now, again, I don't know if there's extra animations I'm going to fall off. I I just landed on the floor and it sort of stopped. And then the game said, do you want to restart? You didn't do it. Mm. So I don't know if you land on that. There's more animations. But the animations on the horse and the players, it's not the best graphically, that one. It's not as good as the others, but it's okay. It's okay. It's just, again, feels like a little bit of a thankless task. And again, there's no humor. Come back to that. After that, there's Bronco riding. Now, this is really well drawn and animated, it has to be said. And mm-hmm. the principle of this is quite simple. So you've got like a nice background detail. You've got a little bit of the rodeo in the crowd in the distance. On the right-hand side, you've got like a plank of wood. Again, well drawn. That's got your time on it, your score. And underneath that, there's like a control idea. So it's like, an, like a, almost a map of the joystick to give you a sense of what directions mean what. Okay. In the middle of all of this is you as a rider side view on top of a horse. Now the horse is going to start booking and doing all the things that horses do. And then you'll see these arrows will appear on top. Now some of the arrows point straight upwards and some of the arrows point diagonally and whatnot. And the idea is that you've got to follow them with the joystick in the right time frame to sort of match the jumps and movements of the horse. And the horse books and whinnies and does all the things that horses do. And you've got to try and stay on for as long as possible. I didn't stay on for very long. Um, and I don't know if that's because I'm a cack-handed idiot or because I just because it got quite fast. I was able to do the first few because they're quite slow, but it speeds up and it gets quite frantic. And then you've got to sort of do combined movements. So you've got to go left, top, left, top, right, and things like that. And it gets quite tricky. And it was inevitable I was going to come off that. But it is a nice event and it does work really well. And by the way, all these all these got good music and sound effects all the way through. So they're all, yeah. you know, they all work with what they, what you're working with. And then you come to the final part after that, which is the stagecoach rescue, which is a really odd event to have in this. <laughs> yeah, I thought so as well, but, but. Yeah. So when the, this starts, you've got a scrolling background where you've got a sort of a sort of set of mountains in the background and ground. And at the bottom, you've got like a sort of a, a quasi UI with a time limit in there. You're on the, a rider on top of a horse with a kind of a Zorro look about them, but you're on the sort of left-hand side on a, on a horse running towards a stagecoach. On top of the stagecoach is some kind of Native American who's throwing rocks and cases at you, an infinite supply of cases, it seems. Yeah. You've got to avoid those. And then you've got to... Now, I think you've got to waggle here, because when I waggled, he went faster. Yeah, you got to waggle, yeah. So I waggled my way to the stagecoach itself, and then he jumps on top of the stagecoach. And then you yeah. have to have a fist fight with the Native American Indian on top of that, and you have a dust-up. And then I got punched off the back of the stagecoach, and it was like, that's it. And you have to try again. But, and I, I never managed to beat the, the guy off the, um, the stagecoach. But that, you know, that's what it was. And it, the, the, the wheels of the stagecoach are running, so it's, it's a horse animated. So it's all kind of moving fast. It's a fast moving mm. thing. There's a lot of brown in this game. But weirdly, the first time ever, I've, I mean, it's even well-shaded brown, but it, I didn't, it didn't really bother me that much. Well, it's because it suits the setting. It suits the aesthetic, isn't it? It's contextual. I mean, even the horses yeah. are brown. So when you think, well, that would blend, but it just kind of works. Yeah, you watch Deadwood. Deadwood is very brown. It is. So all of those events happen. You'll get your final scores, you know, a big hurrah, lots of loud music again. And then it's, you know, do you want to do it again? That's kind of the way this game works. Now, it is like a shot in the arm of, it is exactly what it says. It's a Wild West rodeo show and, and you are part of it. And all of those events happen. And it's you know, pretty interesting. Thematically, this is really good. I mean, this is really well presented, really nice to look at. It's, really, it's quite good in terms of the, th- the way it looks, but it adheres to the style of this, which is what they d- we said about the circus game. Now, yeah. All of its faults, that game was set and its heart was in the circus. This one, for all of its faults, it is doing exactly what it says it's going to do and no more, no less. And it mm-hmm. does it with, you know, the music is very solid, very jolly, massively patriotic, but at the same time, totally in keeping with the theme. And the theme of the game is Buffalo Bill's Wild West. And that's what it is. And everything about it, the graphics, everything really work in that way. Great. The mini games vary in quality, but they're okay. Most of them are okay. 
The shooting ones are a bit tedious, though. The dagger throwing one is unintentionally horrific and hilarious <laughs> at the same time. But the graphics throughout the game are all, I think, really good. There's some really nice shading, some really good animations, where it's appropriate. And the general use of color and pixel painting is of an incredibly high standard. Remember, there's graphics in between all these stages and they all look really good. Mm. So I was I had super fast loading as well, which helped with that. But at the same time, it is what it is. The events vary in their fun factor, though, which is the problem with this, really. Some of them are a bit punishing. Some of them you can just, and you can replay them pretty quick, but some of them are a bit instant, you know, fall off dead, back to the start, fall off dead, back to the start. And it's, there's a little bit of, there's less feedback in them. And so, I don't know, I think sometimes the games, they just feel a little bit thankless and a little bit sort of mechanical almost in the way that they've been set out. Mm-hmm. The game flows from event to event and that's okay. And they are connected by their thematic, but they're not, they don't feel like they're part of some kind of event. They just feel a little bit disjointed, especially with the last one, because that feels like it sort of sticks out a little bit. It's kind of odd that that's there, but it is what it is in that respect. And it does kind of work. Everything functions. There's no bugs or glitches that I could see. The only real issue here out of all of that is fun or actually more succinctly humor. Now, this feels over serious for what it is. It needs some kind of levity in it. And the case in point is that knife throwing, a screen filled with dripping blood, unintentionally funny as it may be, I'll grant you. That isn't going to play well for kids who just want a bit of fun. You know, it's, 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 it does, it makes you laugh, I suppose, but it's, it's not what you'd call funny. It's just a funny outcome of that particular thing in the context of the game. It's the only part of the game that's like that. If, for example, you were doing the steer chase, what it was, and it mauled you to death, or you got squashed by the horses and there was blood everywhere, you could sort of see why it's a bit odd. It sticks out a little bit. It's like that bit in Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it just, you know, once you see that bit, you never forget it. No, you never forget that bit in Bone Tomahawk. For those who haven't seen Bone no. Tomahawk, don't watch Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> no, you do <laughs> you watch don't want it. That just, bit. You know, there's, it's very good part, film. Yeah, there's a part in the last act that will bring tears to your eyes in more respects than one. And it's quite horrific and it'll stay with you forever. Yeah, it will. Um, now, so this game is lacking the levity, levity and it's important. Now, this is something that we lev- we criticised them for before because they do these multi-event games well, but they have seem to have, they always go a little bit over-serious and a little bit under-fun. Mm. So climbing on the stagecoach and having a fist fight at the end, I don't quite know why that's an event. It doesn't tie into anything. But even the shooting events, you know, they just happen and that's it. There's no like, you know, there's no funny things happen if you miss. There's no... No, no little reactions. The cowboy could have said something funny or given you insults or stuff like that. It's those kind of things that those epics games and those other ones had under their belt, the little bits of humor that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they don't have them. So because they don't have them, everything's deadly serious. And because every, everything's deadly serious, you have to take that screen of blood that happens seriously. So it's not meant to be humorous. That's meant to be, you know, you've murdered somebody with a knife and that's what happens. Blood ran down the screen. It's horrific, really. <laughs> so the events yeah. might be hit and miss. They are a little bit too serious, but this has some great production that really sort of lands. And along with its circus game siblings, it's not a bad version of a multi-event game. And it does hold up, but does it hold up to repeated plays? This one might a little bit more than maybe the circus one did. But at the same time, they're all chasing world games, aren't they, really? And world games did this ages ago and better, and it's now two quid. Yeah, probably. So I think, is the mileage in this? I think it's another good Timesoft game. And it has really good graphics and some good, you know, very loud music and good music all the same. But is it too serious, maybe? I don't know. What did you think? I think I think you're right. I think, you know, it's 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 thinking of the bit where you're, you know, your your barrel jumper goes through the ice 
in yeah. the world games and then he turns blue it's your yeah, it's your, it's like your, it's your, uh, it's your weightlifter face turning red yes and sort of dropping the thing going through those, the floor and things like yeah, that yeah it's, it's those it's those bits i mean obviously the summer games ones didn't really have those sense of humor because they were more serious sports simulations of the olympics but once they got to was there any winter event winter games but even winter games couldn't you end up in the snow on the uh, with your head stuck in the snow on the uh, yes hot dog, hot yes dog you could yeah yeah so you things, could, yeah things like that so I get what you're saying with that. I think I thought pretty much the same. I thought this was a it's an it's a weird time tough multi event game. They've sort of progressed from what did it what did it do winter events, summer events, then the circus one, then this. Yeah, yeah. They're getting better at them. Um, yeah. And I think, like you said, this looks the part in all parts and plays pretty well in most of them too. A couple of sort of auditors, but there's a decent selection of games here. Most of them, like we've said before, controls are very obvious and easy to pick up. That's always good. We've said that before. There's nothing overcomplicated here. The only blips, I think, as you pointed out, are the steer wrestling and the calf roping as they yeah. feel arbitrarily tricky compared to the rest. And only getting one go before it's game over, I think, is like punitive. It's like, give you, another, give you three lives. Give you three attempts, like right, yeah, before it jumps back. I actually quite like the wagon rescue at the end. It did feel odd. <laughs> it did feel out of place, but I did quite <laughs> like the whole strange. sort of. It's a bit weird, but I quite like. You know, I could imagine that being the sort of if this was Buffalo Bill's sort of fun bit. You know, this would be the end of the show, wouldn't it? It'd be like, oh, he's trying to catch up to the thing and knock the guy off the top. Oh, you could see it being that 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 sort of thing, but it did was a bit weird. And yeah, the knife throwing, getting the knife throwing wrong, actually made me you know genuinely laugh for all the wrong reasons because it was. It was so out of place. I was like, well, I wasn't expecting that, but okay. <laughs> I just expected the knife to bounce off or something, but no, curtain of blood. There's plenty of pick up and play here. I think if you had a, back in the back in the day, I think if you had a group of you, I think if we'd have had this in your bedroom playing this, four of us, I think we'd have had a bit of a laugh with it. I think yeah, it we might have I think it would have would have would have had a bit of a chuckle sort of thing because you're trying to beat each other's scores and there's enough there and we'd have had a you know waiting for the loading but whatever it's all right I think this is it's a good game eighty percent feels about right for this and 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 like you said the one thing you have to sort of praise this for is its theming because it's genuinely excellent with some great pixel art some great sprite work some great animation great sounds it all hangs together really well it's I think it's probably the best of the time side multi event games we've played um, yeah I agree nice nice to see that progression I think nice to see but yeah i think you're right bit of humor in there like when you you could have when you don't make the 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 steer you know jumping on the steer you could have bounced and bounced and had little stars coming around your head as you sat there going oh you know things like that would have made it i think uh, a bit better there we go buffalo bills wild west rodeo show it's all right it's pretty good let's move on then to our next game And Graham, we have another arcade conversion. The fifth of the month. Fifth. By me. Bloody hell. This is Zybots, though. Zybots. Another arcade, another Tension one, actually. Another port of another Tension game. It's Zybots. This was another full price release at £9.99. Once again, ported by Domark. And okay. so, anyway. According to games that weren't, there's a bit of bits around this. According to games that weren't, this was ported by Teak Take Software. We've seen them before. Teaky, um, yeah, we yeah. have. This uh, Lemon sixty four has John Scott as the coder. Although the article, uh, there's an article on uh, the games that weren't. Which basically, what happened was in an earlier issue of Zap when they did previews, there was this color version of the game, full color version, okay. popped up. So this is what's about uh, written about on games that weren't because they were like, "Where's this color version?" And it says in there that the uh, Jamie Tripp handled the eight bit version. So I'm not sure who knows. Okay. Anyway, but just to mention that image, like I said, there was a color image which was using Zap as a preview image, but the final game was based on the. Z80 Spectrum version, which explains a lot. We'll get into that later. But they've had confirmation from Richard 
I can't remember his name, Richard somebody from Domark, who basically said, no, it was just a mock-up. That was never real. Which is a bit shady, really, that you sent a mock-up of what the C64 version was going to look like out for preview. preview, uh, It is a bit. Purposes, but anyway. So Zybots, then, was originally released into the arcades by Tengen in 1987. It was pretty favorably received at the time for its 3D multiplayer aspect, which was very unusual back then. Anyway, there is a story. I'm just going to read you that out. This is out of the manual. Well, I say story. Zybots is a game for one or two players who take on the characters of the heroes Major Rock Hardy and Captain Ace Gun. <laughs> Your mission to penetrate a vast underground complex and overcome the master Zybot. The huge subterranean city is composed of convoluted mazes with locked doors barring entry to different sectors and transporters to connect different areas. Hordes of evil robotic monsters patrol the many corridors and you must battle with these Zybots to reach the exit elevator and so advance to the next level. In the mazes, you will find energy pods, keys to open doors, and coins to buy essential supplies like enemy mappers and more sophisticated weaponry. At the end of each level, enter the store where supplies can be purchased, some of which are permanent, while others are only temporary and must be replenished. There you go. That's the story. You are Captain Ace Gun or Major Rock Hardy. Okay, so it's a 2D... So what's this? It's a two-player 3D-style gauntlet blaster, I guess, is what it's classed as, somewhere along those lines. Sounds perfectly suited to the C64 with its advanced 3D handling capabilities. When the game loads, you can tell that no expense has been spared here with no title screen. There's no title screen. Oh, okay. It just says, this is just press space. It's like just the game layout. It's just there. Okay. And then it's once you press space, it's there, press fire. So you can play this to either one or two players. The screen, like the arcade game, is split into five sections. The bottom two quarters um, are each player's playing area, which is just like the arcade. And along the top is the map of the present level in the middle. And then on either side of the map is each player's stats with score, energy, and any items they may have picked up. Um, unused or whatever you can play this in single or two-player mode but i'd advise to stick with one player if if i advise you to play this at all and i'll come to why later um so yeah you, you press fire on either joystick so you can press port one and port two and it'll start the game and you'll start that and what we get here is a film noir version of zybots um, <laughs> you play as one of the two characters although they are identical, so it doesn't really matter, and find yourself in a maze represented in 3D. You see this view behind your character, but the camera is only tied to your player when you move forward to the next block of the maze. So the the maze is made up of blocks. When you go into the next one, it will flick forward a block to keep you right in front of it. Your controls are left and right to strafe and up and down to move forwards and backwards. Fire shoots, and holding fire and moving left or right turns your view 90 degrees, allowing you to navigate the maze. As you progress, Enemy robots will appear in front of you um, further in the maze. They will move left or right or towards you, and you must blast them all. As you progress, you will pick up keys and power-ups and coins and all kinds of things, although there is no information on these in the manual, so I have no idea what slow energy keys and guards do should you select them. Mm. You have to just assume slow energy. Maybe my energy goes down slower. Guard, maybe it's a shield of sorts. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they're activated. I don't know if there's icons appear at the top. <laughs> Makes some sort of kind of sense, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, yeah, um, quite frankly, with all that, for this version, I don't care. I don't. I just don't care. This is a bad port. So essentially, you just mm-hmm. make your way through the maze, get to the transport at the end, and you transport to the next one. In between, you'll be asked, do you want to turn these things on? But, uh, okay. <laughs> and then you're in the next one. And it's more of the same film noir, grey and black graphics. Just, yeah. No, it's a bad port, this. A very, very bad port. So the lack of colour yeah. is one thing. Okay, I get it. You, if you're going to strip it down, though, you better make sure it runs well. That's all I'll say. If you're yeah. going to keep it, you know, if you're going to go high-res thing, you better make sure it runs well. This game 
does not. In one player, it's sluggish. As soon as anything other than you is on the screen, so as soon as enemy robots appear, distance, close-up, whatever, you slow, oh, you slow down. Button responses are slow to start with, and should you be tapping fighter, you know, just to try and shoot someone, then you might not. I'll fire now. Oh, what? You want to fight? You want to shoot? Oh, okay, I'll shoot. And then your bullets will move into the screen, they'll bounce back, and the things are moving, everything starts to slow down. But if you're tapping fire, then you move left or right to strafe, you've got to rotate 90 degrees. Because it doesn't really, because this response is so sluggish, it thinks that you've got the button held down, so it just rotates you. And suddenly you'll just find yourself facing a wall. And you yeah. just point in danger to yeah. the right and go, I know there's danger to the right. I was just shooting at the damn thing, but you've turned me <laughs> because your controls yeah. are crap and your input yeah. lag is so bad. Um, yeah. And you'll find it slow and turn you to move back, leaving you being slowly blasted by the enemies in the maze, and you'll die and you'll get annoyed and you'll hate this. Fire, like I said, firing is slow and imprecise. And that is before, and I tried it in two-player. We factor in the two-player mode. If you put it in two-player mode, the ba- the game basically seems to stall and barely function. Oh. It, you're just trying to get two of you moving. It's just like, and then shooting, and then enemies moving. It's just like, ah! The C64 just has an aneurysm. <laughs> it's just like, no, no, what are you doing? I don't understand yeah. why you would release a game in this state. It's fundamentally broken. It's unplayable in two players. It's you know pre- presentationally ugly. There's no title yeah. screen. There's no options. As a, you know, we've seen some really good. We've seen really bad arg, uh, but we've seen some really good arcade conversions this month. And then we're back down to the arg level again. Maybe this isn't as bad as arg, but the problem is the C64. It could probably have handled a version of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the 3D sections in Grizor. Yeah, um, yeah. Now that's pretty similar. We've we've seen this kind of thing done before. There was that other one. What was that? Was it the Vindicator? Vindicator, that th- yeah. The 3D May section. It's not dissimilar to this. Yeah. These sec- Scarabaeus, for God's sake. You know, yeah. the, the 364. So C64, it can handle that 3D if programmed correctly and done right. Yep. But as stated in the games that weren't thingy, they just slavishly just ported the Spectrum version over, and we've seen. Yep. Can of. Other types of games, when you just port Z80 code to the C64, the C64 goes, what? No, this isn't yeah. what I was built for. I'm a 6502, for God's sake. Not yeah. a Z80. It's just no. just doesn't work. And, and it just basically is like, they've just given it, oh, just port that over. Who cares? It's slow, boring, and ugly. And it's, you know, there's no color. Nope. And why why do I move the fastest when I'm strafed with my stupidly over-animated walk? It's got buttocks that roll around each other. <laughs> Like, like he's wearing nothing at all. It's, it's literally, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, my God, he's turning to Ned Flanders. His buttocks are like, they're like well-oiled. Perfectly, it's like, there's no friction between Stupid them. Ned Flanders. <laughs> they are frictionless. They are like, you know, this. if you roll something, it roll forever. They never stop because no friction. He rolls his cigarettes with it. <laughs> he rolls everything with it. He makes his sandwiches with them. Yeah, does his does his burritos with it? <laughs> Just don't eat them. That's all Just I'm saying. Put, put them in open. Comes in perfectly rolled. How'd you do that? You don't want to know. <laughs> Strafing left and right. He was rolling. trained in Cuba with the cigars. <laughs> this is crap. Uh, yeah, that's the only bit that made me laugh. But generally, this is a dreadful, dreadful port. Slow. Terrible, but of a, of a pretty, a quite important when it comes down to it. This is quite an important arcade game. Yeah, Cybots yeah. in the lineage of like you know three D three D multiplayer shooters. This yeah. is quite an important one. Nineteen eighty seven. We've got a two player three D blaster. And that's unusual. Yeah. This is building on. Obviously, they did what was it? Was it iRobot? One yeah. of the first sort of three D polygon games that Atari did. Atari were doing these interesting things in the arcade space and sort of you know evolving and trying different things. Um, even APB with its massive open map and open world game play was yep. trying different things yep. whether no it works or not there. is a different thing this however is a terrible port of that it's r- rubbish it's a, sh- a shame just a shame on this 
Shame, shame, shame. Shame, ring a bell. Shame. <laughs> yeah, shame. It's just, shame. This should be walking, well, this should be walking behind me sideways. It's the fastest <laughs> it could manage. Rolling some kind of dragon butt. I don't know. It's dreadful. <laughs> Rubbish. Um, just a terrible port. 27% yeah. it got. Should be lower because it's cracked. It doesn't work in two-player. It's broken. Yeah. So if you wanted me to be definitive, by the way, that's me being definitive. What did you think? I, I haven't got a lot much, much more to add because I've principally written the same thing. I was never a fan of the arcade, but I admired it for its, you know, trying something totally different. Like you said, mm. good point. But this doesn't work in single player for the C64, really. It doesn't really work. The graphics for the C64, naff, because they're just Spectrum graphics. And I don't like games that do that anyway. Nope. No, they just sh- shove the visuals over from a less capable machine and then just don't think to add color. It just shouts lack of passion immediately. As soon as I saw it, I was like, all right, okay, now I know where this is going from. The game itself plays horribly, confusing, leaves you not knowing which direction you're looking at half the time. You don't know what you're doing. You're kind of weirdly walking forwards and backwards. Just awful. And the sound effects are stupid. And the noise filter is set to ear splitting in that. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it just did my head in in the end. I'm like, nah, this just isn't for me. Whatever you tried to do, you failed. Um, yeah. And maybe you should have gone to the arcade and not just gone, right, there's, there's the spectrum. Just you know, shove that in that machine. It's just crap. And it deserves nothing, you know, lower single figures, single figure percentages for this. It's bloody awful. No, thanks. 10 quid though. No, 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 no. God, no, no. Zynot. Zynot. Crap. Sorry, rubbish. Well, not sorry. It's rubbish. It is rubbish. There we go. Zybots, it can stay in its maze for all I'm concerned. Let's move on. We still have one game left. that graham is over to you for our second foray with the thunderbirds i did a little 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 yeah thunderbirds all right this is grand slam now i see last time i came across grand slam me and grand slam fell out didn't we what was that to say about them i don't want to say the name of it it wasn't good no no, not, I'm not going to speak of it. But the game design here is by Grand Slam, but this is coded by Tiki Software again. You cheeky Tiki. Now, apparently, according to the blurb that's on interwebs, this was the company founded as Tiki Software it was Tony Kavanagh, Peter Harrop, and Sean Hollingworth. So that's essentially, that's Gremlin, isn't it? That yeah, Gremlin? Uh, Gremlites? Possibly, Gremloids? Yeah. Gremlins? Yeah. The graphics here are by Jason Wilson, credited as Jay Wilson. That's uh, some, some good hiding of your name there, um, Jason. Well done. <laughs> good so just to go over it again because you know save you going back to the episode before that we did it you know the other thunderbird game thunderbirds is a british science fiction television series created by jerry and sylvia anderson it was made between 1964 and 1966 using a form of electronic marionette puppetry dubbed super marionation combined with scale model special effects sequences there were two series totaling 32 50 minute episodes pretty long actually Um, and that's what was filmed production ended with the completion of the sixth episode of the series after lou grade the anderson's financial backer failed in his bid to sell the program to american network television crazy Mm. thunderbirds itself set between 2065 and 2067 thunderbirds follows the exploits of the tracy family headed by American industrialist and ex-astronaut Jeff Tracy. Jeff is a widower with five adult sons, Scott, John, Virgil, Gordon, and Alan. (laughs) Alan's got to be the odd one out with them. The Tracys make up International Rescue, a secret organization founded to save human life. They are aided in this mission by technologically advanced land, sea, air, and space vehicles that are called into service when the conventional rescue methods prove ineffective. The most important of these vehicles are the five Thunderbird machines, each assigned to one of the five Tracy brothers. So Thunderbird 1 is the blue and silver hypersonic rocket that's piloted by Scott. Thunderbird 2 is the green supersonic carrier aircraft that's piloted by Virgil. Thunderbird 3 is the red single stage orbit spacecraft piloted alternately by Alan and John 
with Scott as a co-pilot now and again. Thunderbird 4 is a yellow utility submersible piloted by Gordon and usually launched on Thunderbird 2. Mm. And Thunderbird 5 is a grey and gold space station that relays distress calls from around the world, manned alternately by space monitors, John and Alan. You're the space monitor, John. Oh, <laughs> Alan, what are you doing? I'm monitoring you. Aww. I don't want to go into Thunderbird 5 again. Get in there, Alan. <laughs> it smells. It smells funny. You were born a space monitor and you'll die a space monitor. You're never getting in Thunderbird 1 as long as I'm alive. Absolutely. Oh, okay, Jeff. Good goodness. Anyway, the family live on Tracy Island, International Rescue's base of operations in the South Pacific Ocean. I always wondered where it was. Tough in a luxurious villa that they share with four others, Jeff's mother, Grandma Tracy, the bespeckled scientist and engineer Brains, who designed the Thunderbird machines, Brain, <laughs> Brains' assistant, Do you think Tintin. that's what he was christened as? Well, Brains. You're going to be clever. Here's some, here's some glasses. Your Brains. <laughs> Your name's Brains. Okay. He's got an assistant called Tintin, who is also Alan's girlfriend, and Tintin's father, Kirano, and Tracy's retainer in the remote location. The retainer? Anyway, International Rescue is safe from criminals and spies who envy its technology and aim to acquire the secrets of the Thunderbird machines. Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. Some of the International Rescue's operations are triggered by sabotage or negligence instead of accidents for missions requiring espionage. The organization incorporates a network of undercover agents headed by English aristocrat Lady Penelope Crichton Ward and her butler, Alicious Parker. Is based that his on name? Crichton I Ward. I never knew that was his yeah. first name. Alicious. Yeah. Alicious. L O A L O Y S I U S. So it's Alicious. Alicious. Yeah, that's it. Um, or I think that's how you say it. Anyway, Penelope and Parker travel in Fab One, a specially modified Rolls Royce. Mm. Or FAB One. Members of the International Rescue acknowledge orders with the expression FAB, a shortening of 1960s Vogue word, fabulous, just in case you wondered. <laughs> um, but spoken like an initialism. FAB. So, what do you think it means? Um, it's just fabulous, isn't it? Oh, just what it means, yeah. Fab. International Rescue's most persistent opponent is master criminal, The Hood. Okay, He's it based is. in the Malaysian jungle. The Hood expert exerts a telepathic control over Kirano, his estranged half-brother, and manipulates the traces into rescues that unfold according to his own malevolent designs. This gives him an opportunity to spy on Thunderbird machines and sell their secrets to make himself rich, rich beyond his wildest dreams. Frankie. Mm-hmm. So that's... Gives you an idea of the Thunderbirds, because I think it's important that we establish that. Mm-hmm. Now, this again, the game itself is actually split into essentially these four missions that you have to do. So in the game, the scenario is 2063, right in the middle of the key period for the Thunderbirds. On a remote island on the Pacific lives retired industrialist Jeff Tracy and his sons. To the outside world, they are idle rich. But the reality is obviously something different. Deep under the island is an underground complex. This is the base of International Rescue, as I've already said. Uh, and we won't go through all who's orbiting what and who travels in what. You can just refer back to all of that. All the Thunderbird craft were designed and built by the brilliant scientist-engineer Horatio Hackenback III, known within Thunderbirds as Brains. His name's Horatio Hackenback. Ah, that's his name, the third. Yeah, apparently, the third. So there was two other Horatio Hackenbacks before him. Double H. So you've joined Digital It is your task to save lives across the world and stop the evil hood. Very good. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the manual, which we'll stick in the show notes if you will, and go through that. And there's a letter from Jeff Tracy welcoming you to the Thunderbirds and, you know, basically saying what there is. It says there's some rules for Thunderbirds, by the way. So let's say that you're now going to be given a, a designated Thunderbird name. You've got the code of honor to live up to. You must not use your real name or any other Thunderbird agents or unenco- in unencoded transmissions, Adrian. So watch out for that. You must oh. never reveal the location of International Rescue Base or any of its operatives, but you've just done that in the instructions on the first page. <laughs> so, you must never reveal any oh. of the technology that powers Thunderbird vehicles. Never allow yourself or any agent or any craft to be photographed, video recorded while involved in a mission. That's awkward, isn't it? Because the entire series is... <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. The whole world's full of video 
cameras and stuff nowadays. Number five, Adrian, is never give up. However impossible the problem seems that you must overcome. It's just good advice, that from Jeff. Sounds like a Always lyric. remember you are part of, <laughs> of a team. Teamwork saves lives. And International Rescue exists to save lives. You must do this above all else. There okay. you go. Thunderbird's computer game is, a, is in four parts of increasing difficulty. The objective of each part is detailed in the guide, which I'll come to, um, but the idea is that you can play. Now, you have to load each each one of these in separately, I think. I don't know if that's the same for the original game. I think it must have been, um, but each one is a separate load, essentially. So that's quite good. And then I'll come to the way the sort of screen's set up and everything else. The, so you've got four missions. There's Mine Menace. An explosion has destroyed the lifting gear in the Santa Pueblo mine, leaving two miners trapped in the K, in mine cage deep below the surface. The conventional rescue team, guess what? They can't do it. So guess what? You've got to sort it out when you get Oof. some characters to do that with are Brains and Alan, and you've got various objects that you can use, and I'll sort of talk about that in a minute. The second mission is Subcrash, a revolutionary new submarine, the Oceanic Star, is undergoing sea trials when it's struck by a mine. Not revolutionary then, really, is it? To say no. it got hit by a mine, the one thing that the ocean it's isn't the full of and that you need to avoid. The one thing you need to avoid is mines. It's the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> it sinks out of control and comes to rest on the rim of an undersea volcano. Painful. Then no, right on the rim. The crew escapes, leaving only the captain to shut down the nuclear reactor, which is going critical. He is overcome by the radiation. The nuclear reactor will explode and cause a terrible disaster to the marine animals and everything else. So guess what you've got to do there? You've got Gordon and Alan for that one. And part of your equipment is a can of shark away shark repellent and two aqua lungs. Always useful for them to carry that with you. Mm. Mission three is the bank job. After the submarine, in mission two services, small fragments of a certain type of limpet mine are found embedded in the hull. The Thunderbirds must find who has planted it. The only problem is that the records of the company who made it are in the vault of a Bank of England. So you've got to go and rob the bank. Seems counterproductive for a Thunderbird. Yeah. International rescue becomes international robbery. I like the sound of that. No. Anyway, for that mission, you get to control Lady Penelope and Parker, which is pretty cool. One of the things you can take with you there, by the way, is the snoozy sleep spray. Mm. Sound of that. Mission four, Countdown to Terror. The file obtained by Thunderbirds in the episode before. In the vault, identifies the source of the Thunderbird problems as their arch enemy, the Hood. Boo hiss, it says in the instructions. Worse Ooh, than that, he is in possession of a film taken at the sub-rescue of the Thunderbird craft. If this film is not recovered before it can be computer analyzed, all Thunderbird secrets will be sold to the highest bidder. So in that mission, you've got Virgil and Scott. You've got two pairs of dark glasses, a tube of super glue. Things are going to happen. Things are going to be said. You know what? But at the end of that, they're going to be good friends. What happens in the hood layer stays in the hood layer. <laughs> so you can take two pieces of any of the equipment with you when you start the missions, by the way, for yeah, each character. Yeah. So in that one, you've got two pairs of dark glasses, a tube of super glue, a yo-yo, a gun, and a first aid kit. Let me tell you, you're going to need, if you take that tube of super glue in there with Virgil, you're going to need that first aid kit. <laughs> You're going to need it. There are hints and tips in the instructions for each one of those, but the last one says you're on your own with this one, FAB. They do get increasingly more difficult and everything else. So that's kind of the blurb. That's kind of, you know, the premise. And okay, th good th good traditional Thunderbirdy stuff, apart from the robbery, which is a bit odd, but okay. So each of the levels you play in a two-person squad and you get to sort of, so you don't get to choose them because they're chosen before you, but at the beginning you you have a sort of split screen. In the middle, on the left, you've got Jeff. And then you write, you've got the pictures of, you know, a couple of the characters. And then in the middle is the person you're going to pick. And then circling them is the kind of the, the um, various things you can choose. You can take two things with you per person. So they rotate you around with a joystick. You choose which ones you're going to start with. And then you start the actual level itself as well. Prior to all this, by the way, you get sort of a start screen. And the Thunderbirds music is there. I'll give you that. It's really loud, though. Really loud. Um, and shrill. Quite shrill. Um, and so the problem there is that after a while, it becomes quite ear-piercing. Now, thankfully, you can switch it off by pressing the M key, and I would strongly advise that you do that if you're going to yeah. play this. Mm -hmm. It does leave it basically silent, but trust me, you'll want to 
poke things into your ears if you listen to that music for too long because it's repetitive and shrill. Anyway, so the screen is split. At the top, you've got like a, generally speaking, you've got like a view of your two characters that you control. It's kind of a, an image of them. And then to the side of that, there is their items they're carrying. And then to the right of that, there's their energy level. And then to the right of that, there's the sort of a countdown timer and, and some little information about what's going on with visuals. The graphics are nice on that. It's got a nice little UI sort of inset into like a metal frame. Quite nicely detailed. Below that is the, in the bottom half of the screen is your kind of play area. And this is the area where you'll control the Thunderbird characters. They're nice little animated sprites. They look quite cool, I have to say, in their own little way. And you are basically then into the realms of flick screen, walk and seek adventure type gaming. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that classic notion. Flip screen, walk and seek. And the graphics are pretty good with nice details. I thought shading and sprites. It could have done with sound effects, I think, really. More sound effects than there are because there's the odd one or two, but not many. So if you turn the music off, it's kind of silent which doesn't add to the drama. And there's a lot of music in Thunderbirds, which adds to the drama all the time. It's famous for its music, in fact. Mm -hmm. Those Jerry Anderson type shows always have a lot of that. So once you've turned that horrible music off, it feels a bit atmosphereless, but okay. The controls are simple enough. You switch between your two players with the space bar and that instantly switches them to the other view. And you move them with a joystick and you can press fire to do actions and you can pull down to pick things up and you'll come across objects that you pick up. And in the true tradition of these games, you will wander through, wander around looking for things to pick up and interact with and you, you'll get to places where it says, oh, the lift is broken. And then you'll have been, oh, I saw a spanner three screens ago. So I'm going to go back and pick up the spanner and then go and go and swap it for the item that I've got and go back and fix the lift and then get in the lift and that'll take you up. And you know how these games play out. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. There's lots of, in the first level, there's lots of ladders. It's set in kind of caves and stuff like that. The graphics are automatically linked to the level that you're in and the characters are little versions of the Thunderbird characters. He looks kind of weirdly bare-chested in the first one. I don't know why, but I don't know if he is or isn't. He just kind of looks like he is. But either way, you control them. They're always kind of looking at you, and then they start walking, and then when you stop, they kind of look at you a little bit like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Which is quite interesting. I quite quite like that. Um, But again, these games are walking left to right, up and down ladders, finding things, picking things up, swapping them with other things, moving them around, using those objects in certain spaces, flipping to the other player to do the same thing, to basically find and solve the problems to eventually figure out what you have to do at the end. It's that. It's like the Batman game, similar Very to that much. Batman game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it borrows a lot from that Batman ID in terms of the way it looks and the graphics. It's less panel-y, but it's still that kind of vibe. But each of the four levels is, like I said, a separate load. They each have their own thematic different characters. They work the same way, but they do have their own quirks and they do get quite difficult and levels are different. So one of them, for example, it's not ladders so much. You get like doors that you've got to open and close and they slide up and down. And there's some nice little details in it. It's a nice looking game, I think this, in all fairness. The backgrounds, I think, are quite well realized. They look nice. The shading is quite nice. And the pace of the movement is quite quick. There's not a lot going on in the screens, though. There's not much in it. So, you know, the occasional stalagmite will drop and there's the occasional dripping of water and things like that. And maybe you'll meet the odd thing. There's not a lot in it. It's quite an empty game in that respect. And there's very little feedback given to you as the player Again, so it's a bit like Tusker. The same sort of problem that we had in Tusker is that there's a lot of wandering around in this game and you never really, if you pick something up, you think to yourself, unless it's an obvious connection, so you think, actually, yeah, the lift's broken and there's a spanner and you go and get the spanner and you do that. But sometimes the connections between the objects aren't as obvious and even though they do flash and give you an indication as to what they are to pick up, it's not immediately obvious by looking at them what they are either. Mm. So it, it can be quite challenging in that respect. 
But the thing is, if you like these kind of games, you're probably going to take time to figure those things out. And the puzzles you probably enjoy and the adventure you might like. There's not, like I said, not a lot going on on the screen, but at the same time, what there is going on is quite visually appealing. It looks quite cartoony and comic booky. It sort of sits nicely in that sort of zone. And when you do pick things up and you do succeed in things, then things do start to work and, you know, and there is not so much sound, but you do get a little bit of progression notion. Sometimes the backgrounds can be a little bit busy, maybe visually as well, but it's okay. It mostly works. It's not as bad as some of the games we've seen. Maybe that's just a gripe for me. But the mainstay of the game is that multi-screen adventure, I suppose. And as one of those kind of games, there's a lot here. It's quite challenging. You've got four games, essentially, really. Four games you play. But the Batman one had two. This one, you've got four. Um, mm-hmm. And they play out similarly. There's a bit of Dan Dare styling in this, I think, as well. A little bit of Dan Dare, a little bit of Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, now, I'm not always sold on these kind of games, but this one does look and play quite well for what it is. And it is a little bit thankless in that it just feels a bit meandery and a bit slow. But if you like these kind of games, and I've come to the conclusion over all the life of this podcast that there are people that just dig that kind of thing. And if you do, you know, fair play, you're going to have quite a bit of fun with the different levels on this. If that's your thing, mapping, figuring stuff out, picking things up, realizing where things are. There's no other characters to interact with apart from the other characters that you play in this and you don't really interact with them, which is a bit of a shame because there could have been a little bit more of that. There could have been a little bit more stuff to, could have been a bit more of that. And in the later levels, there's a little bit more of it, but not much more. But there's no bugs here in this game. It works really nicely. It's very well put together, actually, considering it's a tiki software game and they don't generally have a great track record. But this is quite a nice looking game, good visual appeal. And I think it compares well with the 16-bit versions as well, actually. And comparatively, I think it's got about the same, if not just 1% or 2% more or less than the, the Amiga one on, in Zap. Mm. It's, got the, it's got nice visuals here. It plays to the C64 strengths graphically. Unfortunately, sadly, not musically or with sound effects. But what you end up with is a four-part adventure, which gives you good value for money. Each one of these is a mini game of its own type, of, of its own right. So you could play these independently and, and sort of map your progress and figure them out and get on with that. Maniggle. Might need a little bit more feedback, a little bit more progress indication so you feel that you're getting somewhere. A bit better communications. The communication in this is like Batman. It's scrolling messages across the screen and things like that, which is fine. But, it, you know, there could be just on-screen messages and things that pop up and visual clues and things. But like I said, I liked what I played. I'm not generally struck on these games. But I think this is a good-looking game. And I think it's worth the 86%, if not a hint more than Zap gave it. This is one of the better types of these I've seen in quite a while. And at least it sticks to being a Thunderbirds game. And that's not a bad thing because it does shout that sound of thing at you. So I, I thought it was all right. It's not a bad, bad old game, Thunderbirds. It's the best one of the two, I think. What did you think? Mm, yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, it's not for me. It's a dual character wanderathon where you need to... Yep. I did have a bit of a problem with you need to select objects to begin with and have no idea what they are or whether they're the right ones. Yeah, Monty on the Run had that as well, didn't Yeah, it? I was well. going to reference Monty on the Run. And it's like, oh, okay... And like at first of all, I was just like, "Oh, brains is dead. What's going on?" Oh, he just drowns. <laughs> brains yeah. just drowns. And I was like, "Oh." So I got him, <laughs> and then I, mo- I moved him out of the way, sort of thing. And then he still drowned. I was like, "Oh, for God's sake!" <laughs> so <laughs> it's a bit, of it, but it does. I mean, it tells you in the instructions, fix the thing with brains. Like, okay, just leave uh, whoever it is Scott, whoever he's with, who is, is he with? Leave Alan to his own uh, devices. It's all right. I, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of these types of games, probably like you. Um, you know, especially when they don't threaten instant death. I, I've got no real affinity with the Thunderbirds. I never did. So it doesn't really do much in that kind of thing for me. So I'm not really that attached to it in that respect. But, you know, I, I can appreciate what it is. It did remind me of that Batman game as well. Um, because yeah. I thought it looked a bit like that. And it's a similar sort of problem solving, puzzle solving. But yep. that, that six objects, pick four, at the beginning rubbed me the wrong way. Cause it's like, I don't know yeah. which of the ones that I got. 
But there's no, I don't think they actually tell you what they are, do they? It's just six icons. No, they don't tell you what they are. Well, they tell you in the instructions, but you've got to guess what they are. Yeah. So you're, you're, look, you're, yeah. yeah. But, and then when you pick stuff up, you're just guessing from like, what does that yes. look like? What is it? Um, I thought they were a bit more well-realized in the Batman game. It was a bit clearer what they were. And it also told you a disc, things like that. I thought this was a, like you said, I think there's a, there was hints of Dan Deere in this for me. There was also hints of that old Doctor Who game that we played. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, good call. I know that was a scrolling one, but it just felt it looked a bit the same, sort of same graphically and sort of wandering about as yeah. Doctor Who. It looked a bit similar to this Batman. It's, a really good so shout, it's, yeah. it's, it's that. Um, it looks, as you said, does look quite nice. The music will drive you mad after a while, but turn it off. It's not for me, this, but I, I think my final note is it'll probably be catnip for those who crave some Mappers Delight. Yeah. I think it's one of, it's it's, yeah. it's yeah. one of those. It's not too bad in the fact that you're not being, it's like, you know, Dan Deer in the fact that you're not being. I appreciate the fact that you're not being beset by enemies yeah. all the time, which was one of the problems with the Batman game um, we yeah. sort of, you know, said about. So here it's like... It's more like Dan Dare in that respect, yeah. Take your time and figure it out. So it was it was fine. Yeah, I, I can see why they gave 86%. I mean, it's it's what if you like these, you're going to love this. And it really, yeah. that's, I know that's a cliche to say, but this is a good one of one of those. It's true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think this, it's really nice visually. There's some really nice touches to that. It's like Batman or Dan Dare and uh, the Goonies. The Goonies is another call yeah. for this as well, with the dual character problem solving, maybe stuff. Yeah, yeah. Goon Dare. Yeah. <laughs> Danny's. <laughs> it's the Danny's or the Batties. Goon Man. <laughs> Goon Man. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Do- Doctor Knees. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Is that? That's not going to make people want to play it. So yeah, it's that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Doctor Knees makes birdie people. Oh, there we go. Uh, that's it. That's our six games. That's it for October 1989. What did we look at this week? We looked at APB, Graham. APB, which is which is all right. A, a good conversion of a, of a flawed original. Yeah, I think yeah. The yeah. thing. International team sports. I'm still picking options. I'm still <laughs> still picking options. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still doing it. I'm still trying to decide what color water I'm going to swim in. <laughs> Absolutely. It's going to take me ten ringlers <laughs> to actually sort this out. Um, first strike. It's all right. Maybe I don't know. It's all right. I don't know. <laughs> it's it was a pr- good. A decent afterburnery type thing. Yeah, it's all right. A better, a better, a much better one. Yeah, yeah, it's better than the average one. Yeah. Buffalo Bills Wild West Rodeo Show. That was good. If a bit. Yeah, that was it, good. Uh, it was good. But, but, but yeah, just yeah. Zybots is the real stinker of the week. Yeah, egg, dog egg. Shame. All the way. Shame. Yeah. And Shame. Thunder, Ring that and, bell. And uh, Thunderbirds is Doctor Knees or Batman, <laughs> Bat, Bat Knees or whatever. <laughs> the Thunderbirds are gone. Now, Thunderbirds are gone. The... Yeah, we quite liked yeah. it. There were actually some. I mean, we don't normally talk about these, but because we're getting to that part of the C64 license, there's probably been others. But I just thought I'd notice that there was a there was a load of budget re-releases mentioned in this episode. There are. Yes, there is a few. Paperboy for two quid. Jack the Nipper for three quid. Why is that three quid? That should be two quid. Should mind. be three quid. Ghosts and Goblins for two quid. That's a bargain. That's good. For, that's a bargain. I'd have had that. Yeah, yeah that's good. Masters of the Universe for three quid. I wouldn't have had that. Uh, that was no. that wander around the streets one where you it went was, left. Yeah. And, where you went left and came in right. <laughs> like, whatever. I was like, ah, yeah, oh. yeah uh, no. <laughs> um, but Rescue on Fractalis for three quid as well. Yeah, that's good for three quid. That's good for three quid. Maybe a bit of a, a bit of a pain on tape, but three quid. I think you've you you picked that up for a good bargain there. Was Rescue on Fractalis multi load or single load? 
I want to say it was multi-load. Yeah, but I could be wrong. Way, might be three quid. Load. That's three. a that's a bargain for three it's quid. It's three quid, yeah. It's a good bargain, that is. Hopefully we'll see some more. I might yeah. pick out some of the others when we go through the months as well and have a look at these. So I think it's quite nice mm. to sort of pick them up. It's probably been yeah. others previously, but it's nice to sort of pick those ones up. We've got some crap birds. Oh, how do you do? Oh no, look who it's from. Rainbird, 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 rainbird. Do you want to describe what you're looking at, Graham? It's a game called Weird Dreams, which is not one I'd ever heard of. On it looks like it's an Amiga game. I think it or is. Yeah. Um, yeah. That the image is a, <laughs> a vampiric creature. I want to say um, it looks like it's a face on a foot. <laughs> It is. It's a foot face. Foot faced. It's a foot faced creature vampire. It looks a bit like if you imagine a vampiric version of the Ghostbusters Slimer. It's a bit like that, a but bit, with yeah. orc ears and a and a head from the um, eggheads. And um, but he is a face on a foot, which is you know. And we've had that before, haven't we? We had them weird creatures that were just chin landed on their chins. Remember the chin with the flapped. <laughs> yeah, that was. The, the, so it's probably related to that somehow. <laughs> the chin it looks like it's emerging through some kind of doorway on a very sharp planet. Or is that a fish tank? Because there's fish, I think, in the background there. I don't know. Um, I don't know what weird dreams they're having here. It looks very strange. It's quite well realised, but really off the wall crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and it tells you nothing about the game. I've got no clue what that's about. No, nothing. Very small screenshots in the bottom right, which tell you nothing either. No, and, and no, the, the hand-picked nothingness. And that, that I don't tech, know what to make of that. That little white text as well, which is really hard to read on that sort of yellowy background the sort of floor background and the black text at the bottom it's all just it's bad typographic typographically bad yeah it looks like it was painted drawn and painted by someone that's drawn painted a lot of um warhammer 40k orcs (laughs) there's a lot of dry brushing and uh dry brush the hell out of his teeth there and that's like serious dry brushing (laughs) yeah and they've 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 let the ink settle in well absolutely my oldest lad eddie is a champion painter all these sort of Warhammer 40Ks, he'd be well pleased with that. I think he'd be like, oh, he's done good with the uh, with the shaded paints and the inks there. <laughs> it, is well a, it is, though, a crap advert. It is, because the, the Weird Dreams logo is stupid. It doesn't make any sense contextually. The image is completely unrelated to anything. It's a giant vampiric green foot face walking through a door in the middle of a fish tank. <laughs> weird, that may be as a dream, Not that, but you won't, nobody dreams those things. That's no, not a dream. That's the, that's, nobody has that in a dream. That doesn't happen. Dreams are contextualized for you. So your dreams don't involve those kind of things unless you've had those kind of things in your life or you've seen it on TV because yeah. it wouldn't be contextualized in your own mind. Your mind doesn't ratify things in dreams in the realm of crazy vampiric feet monsters. <laughs> just doesn't do that unless you're very disturbed or that you might have experienced something like that. So I'm sorry, Rainbird, but um, the dream analysis is not going to work for that. It doesn't work for me, you know. There you go, it's no. weird dreams. Actually, just thinking about it, he is a foot, he is a foot isn't he? So that... Anger face he's looking at there. That's the he's stood on the Lego brick, hasn't he? Just realised. <laughs> probably. Oh he's, like, just ah! got, oh, he's got no hands, so he can't wash his feet. So he's probably just fed up with the smell. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. True. I mean, that means does that mean that he's got? I don't know. I don't know. He's, he's got a yeah, mouse and everything. So where, where's his? Where's the food go? Uh, <laughs> I don't think we need to answer that. <laughs> just in and out. He, you know, he's got. He's got. A, I noticed he's got a butthole on his chin. I think he just poops it out of his chin. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> That would explain the uh, whatever that toenail is on his uh, right foot. Uh, no, now now I've suddenly come to the conclusion he's got an ass face as well as a foot body. <laughs> he's got butt I chin. Think, no, 
He's got a butt chin. It's time to move on. Time to okay. move on. Uh, oh, God. What is this? We got back in time. I don't know. I don't know. I just found <laughs> what him. What is that? So this is a what split. is that? Well, this is uh, from Shades, Graham, who have two different oh, logos no. on that page <laughs> in the middle and at the bottom. So this is a, a, sp- a split ad- split advert for at the top, we've got Terry's Big Adventure and at the bottom, a game called Trivia. Right. <laughs> Neither of which are good. <laughs> no, they're not. I mean, why, look, don't put your logo in a box, all right, in the middle of the middle, a yellow box, all right? I can tell that somebody's really proud of that. They've like got, in, they've got some early 3D software or something, and they've really gone to town on that. And then the other person who worked for the company who drew the, their logo <laughs> yeah. said, well, I like my logo. So they've put that at the bottom. Oh, well, look, we can't, we'll have both logos on it then. Yeah. We'll have both. See, we'll see who likes the... See you like some best. The image at the top is for Terry Terry's big adventure. Right, okay. I I can only assume it's a Mario ripoff. Well, it is uh, clearly, and the, from what the, I can just about make out on the crappy screens, that that yeah. Frogger. But they're ripping off um, the Indiana Jones. They're, they're riffing off Indiana Jones with the style of big adventure writing, which was very vogue at the time to have that kind of orange to yellow fade, and then yeah. the text going sort of big to small in a kind of arc, very similar. Yeah. Back and then the below that, they've drawn a they've drawn a character. <laughs> Clearly, they that was drawn by someone who did a lot of graphic art, and there was a massive spliff in the fingers of that thing, <laughs> and they've taken that out for that because it has the eeks of that kind of that kind of style. Yeah. Um. So it's a shaded side cap wearing, you know, uh, guy, dude. older guy as well, yeah, dude, dude guy, um, who is yo-yoing with with a giant yo-yo. He's got very small legs. So he's kind of, you know, he's obviously, you know, very stunted, but um, at the same time, there he is, dancing amongst giant mushrooms. Um, which this, tells you, know, you something. The, the, yeah, which tells you the drugs inferences are quite high there. And I said, that I'm pretty sure that that's, that kind of art style is just missing a giant spliff in his fingers. And I've, you see it in a few other sort of, you know, logos and things later down the line in the early noughties and things, that kind of style. Mm-hmm. Not terribly bad, but not suited to Terry's big adventure either. Um, and it does look a bit drug-induced and the writing is tiny, describing it which i'm not going to go through so they always put in dis- nondescript screens of the game on these don't they so you can't make them out <laughs> so yeah. uh, from what i can see on them and that might be a bad scan but it just They're looks like it's all very as well very blue uh, and then below that the trivia poster thing is is inexplicable <laughs> it's a half a shaded face with a clock for an eyeball <laughs> half a head <laughs> what's that got to do with trivia it's just the middle bit of a head and it? it's above the mouth above the lip it says it's a one player general knowledge game is there anything more boring than that description <laughs> Wow. Challenge, your, challenge yourself. <laughs> Can I have some friends I've play? Done. No. No. It says, based on the customary pub-style arcade games. Aren't they the sort of thing you'd play with your mates, though? You know, if you went to the pub, I'm like, I'm just going to see you later, guys. I'm just going to go, <laughs> go for like, a game of one-player trivia. Oh, all right. Can we play? No. <laughs> the half a head told me. They commit a classic crime there as well in their blurb. They put, there are a whole range of questions. A whole range isn't an, is a measurement of anything. No, it's not. No, a whole range, you know, unless you're talking about chicken coops and you're not talking about a whole range. How many questions are in it? Oh, a whole range of questions. The ranges of questions we've got. How many? <laughs> Give us a hu- number. Yeah, but Graham, it's got humour. It's with humour. <laughs> Two humor. excellent soundtracks. Colourful graphics. Have you seen those screenshots? I would <laughs> question that colourful <laughs> graphics. <laughs> I don't think that's that colourful, is it? Apparently it keeps you on the ball. Fast pace. Uh, trivia. It says there, trivia is the ideal game for the, all the family. But it's a one-player game. No, it, no, it blatantly isn't. A good, good name for that. Unless you don't like your family. You're like, fuck you all, I'm going to play this now. See you later. <laughs> yeah, we bought you this game because you said it was fun for all the family. I lied. <laughs> it is fun for all the family. If I'm just the family you're thinking of. <laughs> watch me play. You're not my family. Yeah, watch me play it. Yeah, you got that question wrong, idiot. No, I didn't. <laughs> just stupid. 
Oh, uh, just a stupid, stupid thing. There we go. That's Terry's Big Adventure and Trivia. And finally, <laughs> this... <laughs> Captain Codpiece. Captain Codpiece is right. Goodness me, look at that. God, is that wow? Okay, this there's, there's so much going on in that screen. So this is the advert like, for Strider from US Gold. It's it's, the, it's so burly and so codpiecey. I had to include it. Right. So this guy, right? Let me tell you something here. This guy has got a collection of posters on his wall. Yep. So he's got Ziggy Stardust on there and Flash Gordon. Yes, for definite, for definite, because he's got he's got Ziggy Sardos tear. I think he's. It looks like he's got a bit of Schwarzenegger's head and maybe his torso and bod bit of his body. But he's got he's got Flash Gordon's outfit a little bit, and then there's a little bit of Star Wars in there. I think. Then there's some Phantasm in there, bizarrely enough. Yeah, there is a bit of Phantasm in there with the ball, the ball shape and the, the knives. Yeah, that's yeah. A good call, and then you've got is, yeah. then in the in the on the left hand side you've got He Man. Because for some reason he's just riding a dinosaur and fighting a, t- a tyrannosaurus. <laughs> he looks really angry. It's hilarious. Sir. On the right hand side, you've got a, a sword wielding Robocop. Yeah. It's just there's so many. It's, it's like he's just gone around his movie posting, right? I need a Robocop, put Battle Cat in there, but make it look like a Triceratops. I'm going to just sit him on it. Like he's not even riding it, he's just stood in it with no chair. Look how he sat on that bloody thing. There's a giant explosion going off over his head. He's not bothered by that. It's not lighting anything up either. <laughs> to the right, there's some kind of weird creature coming out of a turret, but, but not really. He just kind of stuck that on because it didn't look very exciting to have some kind of Turkish tower. <laughs> Underneath that, you got Robocop wielding a sword and it looks like he's farting out some kind of fire. So he's obviously had a hot curry. <laughs> They're all trapped in some... Then there's a holy hand grenade on the bottom left. They're all trapped in a sphere, which is clearly from Phantasm with lots of knives for no reason. Then you've got the He-Man type hero figure with his cod piece of gold <laughs> and his, his his thigh his gold thighs it's just that the bottom, oh, yeah, it's strong the thighs and the, the amount of gold i mean he can't move in that i'll tell you what like look there's a pinch point there right between his, his inner thigh and his crotch yeah. if he moves too tightly he's going to nip that is going to nip really sharp and he, that, that is a that's the blood wheel and remember when you get blood wheels when you get a nip yeah, that's, that's why they, pinch. That's why they call him Strider because he doesn't walk without striding. He has to stride, <laughs> to. massive strides. <laughs> You'd have to. And to uh, let me tell you something else as well, right? Gold is heavy, so he has got you know he's wearing heavy gold belts. That's what and I mean. Pants. Yeah, he's not going to be able to move. No, under, no, he's, if, he, if he no, that's going to pinch, and there's nothing he can do about it. So. You know, and, and if he like, and, and there's no room for. Let's just say if he if he's you know if he meets a nice lady or anything or a nice gentleman, depending on his persuasion, and feels a bit amorous. There's no room for movement in those uh, gold that, those gold pants. It's going to be no, crushed. Not at all. Yeah. Now I'm still trying to figure out why he's got a weird belt around his bicep on his <laughs> right arm. That's a mystery. And also, you'll notice that he's got his sword wielding on his back, and he's he's actually pulling the sword out. And let me tell you, defensively, that leaves you really weak because you're exposing your entire all of your entire side of your body when you're trying to do that. So you'd be dead. Someone just stab him right in his chest and go dead. He's got his gold bracelet defensively, though. Defensively, defense. Rubbish. Yeah, that's not going to help him. Look at the gold rings he's got on. He can't, he can't bend that hand. <laughs> and you'll notice, by the way, look at you clearly, clearly, and I'm just putting this out there. We talked about onanism earlier. He's got a very strong right hand, hasn't he? His left hand's all wimp and, <laughs> and, and thin. and It's wan. It's thin and wan. <laughs> the, I think he's clearly the, uh, doing a lot more gripping with his right hand. That's all I'm saying. It's I his think gripping the, uh, hand. the left bracelet is a bit too tight and it's just squished his <laughs> it's squished cut his off his hand. blood oh what's going on my left hand is just just dying now oh. i admire anyone with a very posh belt buckle i'm you know i'm a bit of a sucker for a posh belt buckle and he's definitely got that but don't attach your belt buckle to your to your your body armor your body oh, suit you well know. also don't attach your belt 
You either have a belt or braces. Don't have one yes. brace. Don't have one brace and, be- and a belt. A mono brace. He's got a mono brace <laughs> a on A mono mate. brace that goes under his armpit. Yeah, and see, that isn't going to work because the minute he moves, that's going to slide off his shoulder. And that, I mean, it's like, you know, when you carry in like a, a backpack and you sling it over one shoulder. Yeah, it just goes Unless off it's designed seconds. for that purpose, it just, it just slides off all the time. That sword's going to slide off there. Yeah, it is. I'm just trying to help him. I'm trying to help you here. <laughs> I mean, don't get a, do, get a new hairdresser as well, I'm saying, because, yeah. you know, that isn't a haircut that is none. And also, I would advise you don't walk around with a giant sword sticking out your head. Kind of looks obvious about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. That that under armpit sort of uh, thing should go under the right armpit, under the left arm, because then it holds yes. it'll hold it in place. It won't slide. Yeah, off, it, make, it, it makes no sense for him to do that. And also trying to pull the sword out from that position with that arm, you'd do it from the opposite arm, wouldn't you? So you'd pull it over your left shoulder with your right arm or your right shoulder, your left arm. That you wouldn't seem do awkward. it. You wouldn't. You, <laughs> it's like he's obviously been practicing. He's like he's been doing his tricep curls. <laughs> So he can you know, get behind and like, yeah. Well, clearly he has for those but, triceps. But think about this. That sword has got to be shorter than his arm because otherwise he wouldn't be able to pull it out of his sheath because it wouldn't, his arm wouldn't be long enough. <laughs> so it's going to be a little tiny sword. So when he pulls it out, it's like, I've got a tiny sword. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have, gold pants. <laughs> so yeah, it's a mishmash of so many ideas. The logo is not bad, the Strider logo, but I think that's from the arcade, isn't it? But everything else in there, um, anatomically correct it may be, and big and well grown he may be, but he is the is a hodgepodge of many ideas. <laughs> yeah, I saw it and was like, I was just overwhelmed. Like, oh my god, just overwhelmed. And what's the point that? in wearing a skin tight vest when it's that tight? What's the point? Yeah, <laughs> you must just paint paint your chest red. Well, I mean, I that's what he's done. I suppose it's to protect him from the chafing of his mono mono brace. Yeah, true. And also, you'll notice by the way, just around the arm socket, he's got a really nice seam on that vest. So someone's <laughs> taking the time to put good seams on it. And I like, I'm, you know, I like good tailoring. You so do. that's nice to see. You do. You're a frequenter of Savile Row. <laughs> well, I like to see a nicely tailored, skin-tight vest on anyone. Even when I'm in the gym, I walk up to people. Admittedly, it's a bit weird. Say, so, you know what? That vest looks very skin-tight. It's a stretch them seams. Oh, <laughs> yeah. good seamage. Just, are you able to pull your sword out from your, with your left or your right arm? Get away from um, me, I'll, you I'll freak. T- I'll t- yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll leave the gym. I'll leave you to it. <laughs> I'll, I'll get a membership somewhere else. There's not many gyms left that'll have me. <laughs> I get back in the car park, climb on me triceratops and I'm away. <laughs> Absolutely well. Well, the gym explodes behind me and I'm not bothered. <laughs> and a T-Rex looks angrily from the side at me. That T-Rex is going, hey. Hey. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like stu- someone stunned his foot. Hey. He's <laughs> sudden a Lego brick. Yeah. Uh, it's rather permanently angry. Uh, oh dear. Yeah, so there you go. That's my uh, take on that one anyway. I thought you'd like that. I did think you'd like it so Classic much. Sick that. Good old golden pants. <laughs> that was the original name for Strider. <laughs> but you told me it was called Golden Pants. And then we put the str- we changed the name to Strider. What's going on? <laughs> oh dear. I like the way the sword, by the way, doesn't match as well. That's my final thought. The sword in the logo doesn't match the one he holds. I you would love think that. you would think it would, wouldn't you? You think if they had, <laughs> yeah. what, they had what you had one job. We gave the logo with the sword in it. It's a strider sword. It's not the one he holds in the game. Ah, oh, no. what is that one? No, it's not. And what are those knives coming out of the ball? I think that's meant to be his many bladed weapon. I don't know. Right, don't, why are there four sense, in every corner apart from the bottom right where there are only three? You're asking complicated questions now. Just <laughs> watch him get back on his dinosaur and, and and stand stand painfully like he is doing on that without a chair, just squatting. Arr, power squatting. No wonder that triceratops and he's pretty impressed. He just gets something doesn't ride him. He doesn't 
astride him, he just squats on the back of a triceratops. <laughs> That's powerful. That's powerful thighs, that. Well, good old Robocop. <laughs> he's firing a gun, Robocop. He's not got a sword. <laughs> I thought it was a sword. I can't see. He's on fire, though, isn't he? He's like he's Robocop on fire. on fire. He's shitting fire. He's, he is. He's on fire, shitting fire, and fire, you know, who knows? Why is he even there? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Because he had a poster of Robocop in the same room. Yeah, exactly. 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 All right, let's get to the chart. Okay, this is from Commodore User for October 1989. Let's go down the charts. At number 10, down from number 5 is 1942. Um, a new entry at number 9, we've got New Zealand Story. Uh, yeah, new good. entry at number 8 on the Kicks label is Summer Games. Well, I'll be bag, two quid. New entry on the Encore label, Scooby Doo. Scooby Don't. Not a good bargain. Down from number 1 to number 6, finally, is uh, Enduro Racer. Thank God. Yeah. Down to number 5 from number 2 is Robocop. Uh, up to number four from number eight, Yi Kung Fu on the Hit Squad. Another decent good. budget game. That's actually some good budget games coming up. But number three, new entries, Pit Stop 2 from Kicks. Bag in it too. That's a bag if you do put in it, yeah. Same with this. Number four, up to number two from number four, Green Beret from the Hit Squad. That's a bag in That's another that. bag in, yeah. And Crazy Cars, a new entry at number one. Do you recognize okay. that? No. Never we'll played Crazy Cars. We've never played it for the podcast. No, we haven't. Rest of the charts here, going downwards from number 11. Uh, new entry at number 11 is Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. US gold. Okay. I think that's in November, so we've got that next month. Right. SAS Combat down to number 12. New entry mm-hmm. in at number 13 is Batman. That'll be the, the film, third, film of the movie. Yeah, that was the game of the movie. Yeah. New entry at number 14 is Hit Squad Tennis. Yeah, okay. And new entry at number 15, Double Dragon. Oh, God, why is that troubling the charts? New entry at number 16, Forgotten World. It's been a while to come out, aren't they? Staying at number 17 is Dragon Ninja. Staying at number okay. 18 is Operation Wolf. Okay. Down to number 19 is Kenny Dagley's Soccer Manager. And a new entry at number 20 is Spitfire 40 from Alternative. Okay. Well, that is pretty good. No idea. There we go, that's your chart. Next month, it's a, it's a, it's a poor. It's, there's only nine games next month. <laughs> Why is there? Okay. There's not much. So we've got Batman the movie. Okay. Uh, Continental Circus. Oh, okay. Cosmic Pirate. I think. I think that's probably okay. something that's on the same because on the same page as Crystal Castles, which is probably a budget re-release. Yeah, uh, it'll be that. Firepower. God okay, only knows. I remember that. Indie, the action game. Okay. I don't remember that. There's Pit Stop Two in there. There's a silver medal. Power Drift. Okay. Finally. Okay. I'm not sure about Star Trek The Promethean Prophecy. That might be an adventure or a strategy game. Don't you feel yeah, about that one? Sounds strategy, that thing. Yeah, there's the the Untouchables. Okay. And Vigilante. Gold medal. Okay. Now, Vigilante, yeah. I'm not expecting good things about. I don't remember much about it. I'm trying to think who's in it. What's it, it about? Is it... It's the same people, I believe, did the Is Running it Man. Last Ninja people. No. Oh, okay. Not the one. It's not the one I'm thinking of then. No, I think it's oh, did Red, or Red Heat. Is that Red Heat or Running Man? I'm pretty sure. We were oh, talking about goodness. it on the Discord. Oh, okay. Well, um, spare that. Save that pain for later. Yeah, I really would. <laughs> Let me just check. That's all of them. Because yeah, nine games. I mean, really. I mean, the software is dropping off horrendously. But yeah, you can only review is. what's there. What? What's that's the always mistake? been the plan. Yeah. 
There's actually more games. What else is there? There's something called Kendo Warrior. Another, bu- okay. another budget. I don't know about that. Continent Stokes Fire Plus 5. Yeah, Vigilante and Power Drift. So not much in the way of gameage over the next, but they all score highly next week. So could be a good mm. week. Yeah, it could be. It's not been a terrible week this week, in all fairness. Not terrible, terrible. No, it's been all right, actually. Apart from Zybots stinking up the place. Yeah. The rest has been Everything okay. Everything reasonably all right, yeah. Yeah, good stuff in there. Bad. So that's what we've got coming up. If you want to get those episodes early, you can do that and you can get them advert free. You can. Um, yeah. Everything released, you can get it. Obviously, it comes yes. out, but you can get it earlier by joining our Patreon at patreon.com yes. forward slash zap to the past. Come and join us. Lots of good chat do going it. on there. High score challenges, weekly challenges, all kinds of stuff. Loads of interesting stuff. Ask us questions for us the podcast. Get involved as we're coming up to the end of the year. So you can be able to get involved with we the are. end of the year, 1989 review shenanigans. Where we do our awards and everything there'll be all that so if you want to join that price for sandwich pretty much come along yeah um, and bargain. join that you can tip us at ko-fi.com forward slash zap to the past that's always good too or you can go buy some of our awesome merchandise at zap to the past dot shop get yourself a mr miyagi mug is there a mr miyagi mug there is a mr miyagi mug who wouldn't want a mr miyagi mug a mr Mugagi? exactly so mr Mugagi. There's Lord a humongous mug or humongous, humongous plus hoodies, t-shirts, you name it. Loads of cool stuff. And if you're feeling, you know, there's even stickers. It's not there's the things you can buy there. You know, it's Christmas coming up. Who wouldn't want something like that? I know a lot of people that probably do. So get in there. And if, like we said at the beginning, no, if you made some of these games, you know, it's always cool to hear from you because it's like we we're yeah. talking about the games now, reviewing them, and obviously having a, a bit of a laugh about them. But you know, we do like some. But it's always cool to hear from people who made them. So if you like, oh, we, yeah, this is what actually happened with that. Well, you know, that's mm. cool to hear, and we'll you know we'll give tell us. Sh- yeah, let us know. We're happy to hear those kind of things. It's always good. Whew, this has been. Oh, that's October. Two months left. Two months left, Graham, and 1989 is done. We are done. No, and then we're back in that big awards ceremony. And then, oh, God, that's going to be another epic one, isn't it? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Quite possibly. So we'll probably start the provisional planning for some of that. So obviously we'll we'll be in touch with our patrons and listeners to start thinking about whether they have a contribution they might want to make at certain points, as we normally do. Yeah. Um, I think this episode's been released on the 18th. I think this is our last episode before Christmas. Is it? Yeah. Because it's the seventh today. We record mm. on the seventh in the future, so this will be released on the eighteenth, the Monday the eighteenth, mm. and then the Monday after that will be Christmas Day. We won't be releasing one, so this is it. This is the last one before Christmas. Yeah, well, and then have a merry Christmas. Yeah, I just realised. I was thinking, is this the last one? It is. So yeah, I think we're off for a couple of weeks break. We're not quite. What are we doing? We don't. We know don't yet, know. Do we we'll we might. We might put something out over the Christmas, but I think it's been very busy we'll at work and could probably do with a couple of weeks a couple of weeks break from yeah honest. same i think we, we, we think we need a break but you know what who knows what might happen we might have something who yeah knows? but there won't obviously mondays is both christmas day and new year's day so there will be nothing out on those two weeks we'll be back definitely yes. on the 8th of january um with the next episode we'll be getting to november obviously but we may release something over the christmas break we don't know we'll just see it we'll just see we how we feel see how the mood takes us we never know yes. If we don't know, have a good Christmas. Have a good Yule break. Yes. Have a good holiday, whatever holidays, it is you're celebrating. Yeah. Celebrate the holidays. Um, yes. Hope you get some time off. Hope you have a nice one. Hope you get some nice prezzes or whatever. And yep, yep. Santa brings you some nice stuff or whatever. Yep. Celebrate it in whatever way suits you or don't celebrate it in whatever way suits you. But either way, I will be having some nice quiet time. So good. I think so. Yeah, same here as well. And on that festive note, Graham... I think we should uh, leave our listeners and say goodbye for the week. So, like a plan. as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to the festive episode of Zap to the Past. 
and we will see you again in three weeks' time, unless we do yeah. something else in the meantime. But don't hold us to that. So if not, see you in the new year. Have a good Christmas. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptoother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.